Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 23. Numbers 23. Now we have this uh, continuation of our study from last week with Balaam. Um, uh, in, in, in continuation, when we look at Balaam and Balak, uh, if you're like me, sometimes you get names confused. Uh, Balaam, just think of like lack is bad and lamb, Balaam, Balak is bad, Balaam is the good, but it's good for now. It's not long term. It's Balaam is what's so wild about what we see here in chapter 23. And I mean, I don't mean wild like in a crazy sense. I mean, wild like, you know, in terms of our walk with the Lord to understand and have be wide awake. Eyes completely open, spiritual eyes, and understand that there's this persistence of our enemy, of Satan, the devil, and his demons. There's this persistence, and a lot of times we don't think that that way. We get in trouble when we don't think in terms of there is an opposing force that wants to kill us. There is an opposing force that wants to kill you, that wants to destroy you. Everything that's beautiful in your life, in your family, your marriage, your kids, your everything, everything, the devil wants to destroy. 100%. And I, I mean, I get it, but in another sense, I don't get it. I get it in terms of like, you know, we like to think in like worldly terms. I get that. But as Christians, you know, that's that's the norm with the world. But as Christians, we forget that, you know, like we are heaven bound. We're on our way to paradise. But along the way, we're we're under attack. Individually, corporately, we're under attack. And in the absence of maturing and growing in Christ, what happens is that the Christian the church is ill-equipped to endure. And I have a big problem with that. I have a major problem with that. And we all should. Because to understand that the fight is very real. I mean, when you look at the threat, how do you respond to a worldly threat? You know, of course, there's the safety aspect. There's defensive posture. But when we read the book of Acts, you also see the offensive posture. And we can never lose sight of that. You know that, yes, we're on our way to paradise, but at the same time, we're under attack. And what's so beautiful about the Old Testament and the New Testament is sometimes, you know, the fight, the battle belongs to the Lord. I mean, it all belongs to the Lord, but sometimes the Lord fights on behalf of Israel. And sometimes the Lord says, okay, Israel, now it's your turn to fight. Look at what the Lord did for, for Israel in Egypt. What did they do to fight Egypt? No, the, the battle was the Lord's. He handled business. And praise be to his name. But then you keep reading, you get to Canaan. Canaan. And it, it, it's not to say that the Lord didn't fight Canaan. But when Israel became a vessel of the Lord, corporately as a vessel of the Lord. You see, Israel had to fight. The Lord says, okay, yeah, you know, I, I, I took care of Egypt, but Israel, now it's your turn to fight. 
the same thing applies to us. Look at the battles that the Lord takes upon himself for you and for me. But then at the same time, when we read the book of Acts, it's like, wow, look at what how the disciples, how the, uh, the formerly disciples, but now apostles, look at how they're fighting. Look at how they're going on the offense and fighting, not like the Old Testament, fighting spiritually. I mean, the Old Testament is like a worldly sense. You remember Israel after the flesh. But then you have the New Testament in accordance to the New Covenant. And the fight is still there, but it's according to the Spirit. The weapons are not carnal. In nature, they are supernatural. And yet we fight. And so we see this. We have to understand this in terms of, you know, you see Balaam and then you see Balak. And understand that Balak's position here, he wants to curse Israel. He wants Israel to be cursed not just for the sake that they can be cursed, but he wants them to be cursed so that he can defeat them and win against them in battle. That's what Balak wants. That's Balak's objective. And knowing his objective upon Israel, that he wants to kill Israel, to defeat Israel, he wants Israel to be cursed. And you know, we also understand God's position where God says, no, don't curse them. They are not cursed. So we know Balak's position and we also know the Lord's position. And now we see, okay, Balaam, now it's your move. You have a choice to make, Balaam. And we're going to see some beautiful passages here in chapter 23 because you see an interaction with Balaam and the Lord in this beautiful, beautiful intimacy. The problem is that it's short-term. It's not long-term. For us, for you and me, is to understand that our intimacy with our Lord Jesus Christ is not short-term. It is long-term. You believe in Jesus Christ, praise be to the Lord. You abide in Jesus Christ, praise be to the Lord. But don't do that just for a year or five years or ten years. It's for the rest of your life. Until your last dying breath. It's not just, you know, don't be a short-term believer. You see? And, you know, there's a lot of people say, oh, no, 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 that's not, that's so fake. You know, once saved, always saved. But, you know, the Bible teaches us about short-term believing. You know, don't be a short-term believer. Remember, when we look at uh, Luke chapter 8, I reference that every now and then and quite a bit, but I'm going to reference it again. But in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, it says, But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive, receive the word with joy. So they receive the word. It was when they hear, so they have ears to hear. Very interesting. This is Luke chapter 8, verse 13. The ones who fell on the rock are those who, when they hear, so now they have ears to hear, they receive the word with joy, praise be to the Lord, and these have no root. Very interesting. Why do they have no root? Why is it that these who hear, who have ears to hear, and they receive the word with joy, but they have no root? Very interesting. Understand that when roots grow and they get deeper and deeper and deeper in the soil, the key word there is growth. It happens with maturity. I mean, you take a weed, like a fresh baby weed, and you could pull it out. You could just flick it out. 
it doesn't require any strength. You just flick it out because there are no root systems there. You have a little tiny weed, a little baby weed, and you just flick it out. But when you have a weed, like say you haven't been gardening for like a year, and you have weeds that have been there for like all year, maybe two years, and you know, you have these big giant weeds, they look like trees, except their root systems go deep and deep and deep and deep and deep and deep into the ground. And it is a pain to pull those things out. Why? Because they've the, the root system, I mean, what we see growing up out of the earth. That's just what we see. What we don't see is the root system that goes down. And sometimes the root system goes deep and sometimes it goes wide. Sometimes it goes both. So it's really, uh, you know, it's really difficult to pull them out. And I, I give the example of the weed because we're accustomed to weeds. I mean, if you, you know, take care of a yard. and But the same thing applies to you and me. Not as weeds. But maturity in Christ, it means our root is getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into holy soil. Our roots are getting wider and deeper and wider and deeper. But look at what happens here in Luke 8, verse 13. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, they have ears to hear, receive the word, Praise the Lord. They have ears to hear. Now they receive the word with joy. But something happens. There's no root. And these have no root. What's happening? It reminds me of Corinth. The church in Corinth. Before chapter 5. Babies. Baby believers. Now being a baby believer is beautiful praise be to the Lord if you're a brand new believer like a month a couple months I'll stretch it maybe even a year But when you look at Corinth 3 years of arrested development you know when Paul says in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians when he says you know what I came to you guys you know, he says I I I knew nothing when we read chapter 1 he says I I, I purposed in my heart to know nothing, to tell you nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Chapter 3, he says, well, you guys were babies. It was spiritual milk. You guys were just babies. Three years later, he says, you know, three years ago, I gave you milk. But three years later today, I have to give you milk. You guys are still babies. You're not on, on, on meat yet. I still have to give you milk. You are still not able to receive it, he says, because you are still carnal. No root system. No roots to go down deep into the earth. No roots to go deep and wide into the earth so there's strength. Getting nutrients, not just from the topsoil, but nutrients from deep, deep, deep into the earth. Spiritually speaking. And so what happens then you have this division that happens in chapter 5. I mean, there's a division, but the division is a result of the works of the flesh. Remember, the Lord is reactionary, Old Testament and New Testament. The Lord is reactionary. There's the works of the flesh. There's the carnal nature. There's no repentance. Okay, now it's time to clean house. You see? 
Anybody named a brother. Remember, it says, take this guy, commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Anybody named a brother who's a drunkard, sexually immoral, a reviler, you know, not even to eat with such a person. They're leaven. That's the danger behind youthfulness in Christ. Now, youthfulness in Christ is beautiful. But fish go from fish to lambs. And then lambs go from lambs to sheep. Maturity. And even sometimes sheep turn into shepherds. You see? But don't forget Acts 20, where even the shepherds can become wolves. You see? So here in verse 13, Luke 8, they have no root and they believe for a while. You see, just like Balaam, Balaam, we're going to see some beautiful passages in our study in Numbers where it's like, wow, Balaam, he's interacting with the Lord. He has oneness with the Lord. He has intimacy with the Lord. And praise be to his name, the Lord, not Balaam. Praise be to the Lord. But a big problem happens because it's in the short term. It is not long term. You say, oh, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. Well, these things in the Old Testament are written for our admonition. Remember, Paul says that. Paul said that to the church in Corinth. The things in the Old Testament are written for our admonition. Warning to teach us, to show us a shadow of the things to come. Israel after the flesh. What about you and me walking according to the flesh or walking according to the spirit? You see? So here in verse 13, they believe for a little while and in time of temptation fall away just like Balaam. You see? How beautiful is it that the Lord teaches us? Not that this happens. But understand, this is, this is the nature of warfare. This is part of the battle. This is part of the battle. This is the risk to the Christian, to the believer. Oh, but once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Well, in light of what the Holy Bible says, what does that say of once saved, always saved? You see? Oh, but nobody can pluck pluck you out of Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. You're right. But it is also written. It is also written, don't walk away. I'm paraphrasing, but I'll read from Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Very interesting. How is it that among the brethren, among the brethren, among believers, that among believers, there can be an evil heart of unbelief. Wow, how is that? I thought once saved, always saved was true. No, it isn't true. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. You see? 
But exhort one another daily, not once a week, not once a month, not once a year, daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's the deceitfulness of sin. Oh, but once saved, always saved. Therefore, I can do this. Therefore, I can do that. You see? But don't forget about the sin of omission. Once saved, always saved. Therefore, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do this. Well, if the Bible says, and if the Lord is, uh, 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 if the Holy Spirit is directing you in one direction or, you know, wanting you to do something and you don't do it, that is sin. Or when you sin against the brethren, you sin against the Lord. Remember our study in, in 1 Corinthians? I love how the Lord raises the bar. He raises the bar. Not to hurt you. So that you can grow and mature. Oh, but once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. You know, uh, no one can pluck you out of the grasp of Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. But it is also written. Don't depart from the living God. Uh, uh, Hebrews 3 verse 12. Don't depart. Don't walk away. You see? That's the seduction of Satan. We have to be wise. We have to be wise and understand the times. It's going to be worse. You hear me say all the time, you know, it's going to be worse. This is nothing. And it's true. This is nothing. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Satan is going to ramp up his efforts in the last days because he knows his time is short. He's going to ramp up his efforts. He knows he's going to burn in hell. He just wants to take you with him. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to fight? Defensive posture, praise be to the Lord. Offensive posture, praise be to the Lord. The two work together, defense and offense. You see? But what happens when roots, when, when there's no root? Those are the ones at risk. The baby Christians, just like in Corinth, no understanding. They believe for a while. You see, it breaks my heart. You know, I don't like saying things like this because, wow, these are my brothers. These are my sisters and it's going to happen. And it's going to get so bad that the, the Lord says no flesh will be saved. No flesh would be saved unless those days be shortened. That's what he says. Think about how bad it's going to be for that to happen. No flesh would be saved. I mean, you think, like, I, I think of the titans of the faith. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, no flesh would be saved unless those days be shortened. That's how bad it's going to be. So now we have this understanding of Balaam. We're going to see some beautiful things with Balaam, but we're going to see some ugly things with Balaam. And in the long term, it's terrible for Balaam. Why? Because he becomes an example of what not to do. Balaam has a choice to make. Now, let's look at Numbers 31. Just I, I mentioned this, you know, we, we looked at this last week, but you know, let's look at it again. In Numbers 31. In Numbers 31, verse 16 says, Look, these women caused the children of Israel. Through the counsel of Balaam, you see, to trespass against the Lord. 
in the incident of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. You see, through the counsel of Balaam. So how is it that Balaam was revealed this to Balak? Well, we're going to look at these passages. The counsel of Balaam. You see? You say, well, wait a second. Why, why is it such a big deal? Balaam's kind of like out of the picture. Okay, you could say he's out of the picture. But does that mean he doesn't have to give an account? Because we look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. But I have a few things against you, the Lord says. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. To eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Wow. You see? You could look at Numbers 31 and say, well, Balak's out of, or Balaam is kind of out of the picture. Okay, you could say he's out of the picture. But does that mean he's not responsible? That's kind of like a lame argument to say, well, he's out of the picture, no big deal. Not only is he responsible, but he has to give an account before the Lord. And I think that rings true for a lot of people today who say, well, you know, I'm out of the picture. It's no big deal. I'll just light a fire over here. No big deal. I'll light a fire over here and, you know, I'll be out of the picture. Wait a second. You might be out of the picture with carnal eyes, but with spiritual eyes. Are you not responsible, oh man? Are you not responsible, O woman? And since there is uh, this bearing of responsibility, will you not be held to account, O man? Will you not be held to account, O woman? Let us be a people that learns, that learns from Holy Scripture what the Lord desires to show us and teach us because He guides us. In our walk with Him. Yes, through the wilderness, but we have a destination. We have a destination. What is that destination? Paradise. It's not on this earth. Paradise. And He teaches us. He shows us. He guides us. He leads us. He protects us. He fights for us. And sometimes He says, Okay, I've trained you. I've taught you. Now, I want you to fight. You see? But baby Christians can't fight. Just, I mean, I, I don't want to get grotesque in saying this, but I mean, what if you had to fight a two-year-old? It's, it's, it's so asinine. It's so, it's like a no-brain. It's like, you don't even want to think about it because it's like, wow, that's kind of violent. A two-year-old, it's, it's so crazy. It's like, wow, you know, why, why would you even fight a two-year-old? Exactly. <laughs> I don't think Satan minds the two-year-old Christians, the, the little baby Christians. I mean, look at what he did in Corinth. Look at the mess that happened in Corinth. Think of before Paul wrote his letter. Think of what Corinth when when somebody would look at the world, look at Corinth, and then look at the church and see absolutely no difference. You know, a person could go to the temple of Diana, you know, in search of maybe just hungry, like what is the meaning of life? What, what, what is, you know, they have, there's all these gods all over the place. I think I'm going to go to the temple of Diana today. Go to the temple of Diana. Everybody's having sex like crazy. And he's like, wow, you know what? I'm out of here. I don't, I don't like this. 
Oh, what's this? There's this, you know, a church over here. Christians, I've heard about them. I've heard about the exploits of Paul and Barnabas. I've heard about them. And I say exploits in a good way. The things that they've done in the name of the Lord. This Jesus Christ, they keep, I keep hearing the name Jesus Christ, but I don't know anything about him. I'm going to go into this church over here in Corinth. Walk inside. Everybody's having sex like crazy, just like in, just like the temple of Diana. Like, what in the world? What's the difference between the, the temple of Diana and the church? What's the difference? You see? What about the name of the Lord bringing shame unto Him? And so being a baby Christian is beautiful. I don't want to say it's a bad thing. Well, it it can be a bad thing. It's beautiful for the new believer, but you have to mature. You have to grow in Christ. You have to let your root grow deep into the heavenly soil. Deep, 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 wide and deep. You see? Oh, but nobody can pluck you from the arms of the Lord. Okay, you know, praise be to the Lord. It's a biblical truth. But don't forget, it is also written. Don't walk away, a paraphrase of Hebrews 3. Don't walk away. Don't be seduced. That's the problem with Balaam. Balaam. Yes, he has this beautiful intimacy with the Lord, but it's short term. And he's held to account for, he's responsible for the choices that he made in giving this counsel to Balak. So let's go to uh, chapter 23 in the book of Numbers. And here in chapter 23, verse 1, Then Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. Now, you have to remember chapter 22, verse 41. It says, uh, 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 so it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. So proximity speaking, you know, they're in the high places of Baal. Now, high places, you're going to see that a lot mentioned in the Old Testament, the high places. And in the high places, say, for example, we go in a time machine, okay? We get in a time machine, and we get in a time machine, and uh, um, uh, for the sake of humility, it's a VW bug, okay? So we get into a time machine, a VW bug, and we go back in time. You know, you have to go, uh, 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 you know, all the way back, you know, all the way back to uh, uh, here in this particular passage, not just in, in Numbers 23, but, you know, all throughout the Old Testament. And so we go, we land, and then, you know, we get out of the car, we're out of the time machine, we have to hide it because people are going to freak out if they see our VW bug. We have to put on the proper attire because people are going to freak out. And then we're walking through the land, and we look up, at, we're like in a valley, and we look up on the top of the mountains, and you see like the structure there. Wow, what is that? Well, what happened is that people would build their temples high on the, on the, on the high ground because they, in their mind, they wanted to be cl- as close as possible, as close in, as possible to the heavenly realm. That's, that's why you see in the, this mentioned in the Old Testament, the high places. So they would take their temple of Baal and go into the high, like the highest mountaintop and build a temple there. So when you see that in the Old Testament, you see the high places. And what's so sad, you see that in Israel. 
when they turn into apostasy, when they turn into harlotry, when they go towards harlotry and there's the temple of the Lord, but then all of a sudden you have these disobedient kings and all of a sudden they start building temples in the high places. You see that? It's sad. It's going to break your heart. It's going to kill you because it's like, wow, Israel, what are you doing? Israel, what are you doing? Now that we have this understanding of, you know, uh, the Old Testament, we have this uh, 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 foundational understanding of the Old Testament and the law. And then when you read passages in the Old Testament about Israel in the high places, not of the Lord, the high places of the Baals, the Ashtoreth, Molech. And it's going to kill you. It's going to break your heart. Israel, what are you doing? But understand in the Old Testament, this is Israel after the flesh. What about the Christian? As new covenant believers, what happens when we build temples on the high places of our heart? To alcohol, to pornography, to prostitution, to reviling, to extortion. What happens when we build these high places in our hearts? You see? And we learn from the Old Testament. That's why Paul, you know, the Lord cleans house. Paul's the vessel that the Lord uses to clean house. Anybody named a brother, not the world. He says to the church, not the world. I don't mean to, you know, you'd have to get in a spaceship and fly out of here and you land on the moon. But he says, no, I don't mean in the, you know, in the world. He says, in the church, anybody named a brother. You see? We have to be wise. So they're in the high places here in verse 1. They're in, remember, they're in the high places of Baal in verse 2. And Balak did just as Balak had spoken. Now, don't forget, don't forget, Balak's objective is for Israel to be cursed, not just for the sake of cursing, but for Israel to be cursed so that he can defeat them in battle. That's Balak's objective. And, so, and, and Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height. You see? So he went to a desolate height. Very interesting. Very interesting. In verse uh, 4, and God met Balaam. You see, what's so beautiful about this is that God engages everyone. God engages everyone. Now, in chapter 22, verse 1 says this, Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from the Jericho. That's chapter 22, verse 1. And what's so beautiful about this is that we see that Israel, they're on the plains of Moab. Meanwhile, look at how the Lord is engaging Balaam. Look at how the Lord is engaging Balaam. You see? And God is making himself known. God, he, so the Lord is with Israel in, 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 the, in, in the plains of Moab. The Lord is with them. 
And God is making himself known, not just to Israel, deeper and deeper and deeper, but he's also with Balaam. He's also with Balaam. He's also at the high places of Baal. That's where Balaam is at. He's also there. So he's protecting Israel, but he's also engaging with Balaam. But it's the same thing today. I mean, it's so... You know, sometimes we think about the... When you, when you think about something being impossible, anything being impossible, and then you think about God, you have to erase the impossibility because all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. Oh, there's no way this guy can become a Christian. There's no way this girl can become a Christian. Well, all things are possible with God. That's just, you know, for the sake of somebody's soul. But what about situationally speaking? Oh, I'm in so deep. I'm in so deep that, you know, nobody can fix this. Not even God. Well, you have to stop right there. Because nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. You have to have faith. Understand, you know, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is miracles. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that was for another dispensation. That was for 2,000 years ago. Okay, it doesn't hold up to Scripture. When you have a pastor, when you have a teacher that says, Oh yeah, that was for another dispensation. The Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. You have a choice to make. Now the, the ball's in your court. You have a choice to make. Are you going to believe what he says? Or are you going to believe what the Bible says? You have a choice to make. Oh, but all my friends go to this church and... Okay, I get it. So let me ask you something. Is church a social club? And, you know, be careful with your answer. Because if church is a social club, then you have issues. The church has issues. If the church is a social club, yes, the church has issues. But if the church is a social club, you acknowledge it and you like it. Yes, the church has issues. But so do you. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, you can't have friends and, you know, deep, close relationships with fellow believers. Yes, indeed you can. It's beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. Oneness, the same mind, the mind of Christ. In accordance with His Word. Koinonia. Ecclesia. You see passages. This is, we're straight up in numbers. But as a shadow of things to come, how much, as New Covenant believers, can we learn from what's happening here? God has intimacy with Israel in the plains of Moab. But in the plains of Moab, you look up on the high places and you see the temple of Baal. And you know what? God is there with Balaam having a conversation with him. Engaging with Balaam. You see? It's the manifold grace, the manifold moving of our Lord. I don't know where you are on the, on the face of this globe, on the face of this orb. I have no idea where you are, but the Lord is with you. But he's with you and he's also with the church in, you know, a, a, a little home fellowship in China. A little home fellowship in Iran. They have to meet in secret. 
He's also in a, a little home fellowship in, you know, New York City. The churches have been shut down. And there's a little gathering of believers in New York City. He's also with a body of believers in Vietnam. A body of believers in Sudan. The manifold grace, the manifold handiwork of our Lord. Just like what we see here. Yes, he's in the plains of Moab with Israel. But in verse 4, and God met Balaam. Where is he? On the heights of the Baal. Now, you know, it, 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 it brings in the question like, well, okay, now if that's the case, why is Balaam there? What I love about this passage is that, you know, we looked at last week. It's like, okay, you know, once uh, uh, Balaam had eyes to see, remember his donkey had eyes to see and he didn't have eyes to see, but then through the help of his donkey, now he has eyes to see. And the Lord says, okay, you go with Balak, but you must say exactly what I tell you. Say exactly what I tell you. That's what's so beautiful about Balaam. Because we see this like, wow, Balaam, wow, this is so beautiful. You're a, you're a diviner. And it's like, you're okay, does that mean that the, the Lord is okay with div- divinity? No. Diviner, soothsayers, no. These are things that are an abomination to him. We were going to study this in the Old Testament. Look at prostitution. Does God condone prostitution? No. Does he love the prostitutes? Absolutely. Does God condone, you know, doing drugs, meth, uh, 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 ayahuasca? He condones all that? No, not at all. Does he love the addict? Absolutely. Yes, he's long-suffering. Long-suffering. You see? When we look at this division in Corinth... In chapter 5, anybody named a brother separate from such a person. You know, involved with the works of the flesh. Yes, the Lord is cleaning house. But do you think his heart is not broken? Do you think his heart is... It's sad. It's sad, the division we see in in Old Testament and New Testament. It's sad. It kills me. He's long-suffering. He's long-suffering for a reason. Number one, it's his character. It's his nature. But when you look at our study in 1 Corinthians 13, you too can be long-suffering. Why? Because it's sad. It's sad when people make their choices. But yet, they make their choices. They are responsible for their choices. You are responsible for your choices. Just like Joshua says, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. His choice is made. You say, wow, praise be to the Lord. He made the choice for his house. You know, it's beautiful. And you can make the choice for your house too. But also don't forget that as we get further into the last days, what is it that the Lord says? He says a man's enemies will be those in his own house. You see, in Matthew 10, verse 36, a man's enemies will be those of his own household. You see, that's what's going to happen. 
as we get further and further into the last days. Yes, Joshua made a beautiful choice. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. But the further we get, the further we get away from Joshua and the closer we get to, you know, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And as love waxes cold, remember our study on Sunday? As love waxes cold, it's going to get darker and darker and darker. The Holy Spirit, he who restrains, is going to be lifted. Think about all the lights that are going to go out. Where will your enemies be? I pray they won't be in your own house. But the Bible tells us that there will be houses where your enemies will be under your roof. That's what the Bible says. But since we know that this is in our future as we walk in this narrow path, since we know this is in our future, you know, the time of training is right here and right now. Yes, to train for defense, to train for offense. The time to train is now. I mean, it's been before, but... That's the nature of combat. That's the nature of warfare. Train. Pray for peace, but train for war. Let's go back to Numbers. Here in Numbers 23... Verse um, verse 4, And God met Balaam, and he said to him, So this is Balaam to God now, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered on each and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. You see, very engaging the Lord. This intimacy. You know, it's like, wow, you know, Balaam it comes to the Lord and, and the Lord responds. Now the Lord is putting a word in his mouth and said, return to Balak and thus you shall speak. Now, remember chapter two, 22, remember chapter 22, verse 35, when the Lord says, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So the very specific instructions. Remember, when you have intimacy with the Lord, there are specificities to instructions that he gives. Very specific. And he never contradicts his word, never goes against his word. That's also part of spiritual warfare. Because people say, oh yeah, the Lord told me this. The Lord told me that. Well, it doesn't align with scripture. So did you test the spirits? Oh, no, no, no. But the Lord told me. Well, you're supposed to test the spirits to see whether they're of the Lord or not. You see, it's part of spiritual warfare. The enemy wants to kill you. Satan will present himself as an angel of light and even say, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. And he'll even use scripture, just like he did with Jesus Christ. He'll even use scripture. You know what Jesus Christ said? It is also written. You see? When there's no maturity in Christ, just like the church in Corinth before chapter 5. Just like the church in Corinth, when there's no maturity, when there's no roots that go deep, there's no growth. Satan will present himself as an angel of light. 
and say, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, and use scripture, quote scripture. And the unsuspecting baby, the unsuspecting milk drinker, the unsuspecting milk drinker with no roots, maybe a little tiny bit of root. Oh, I'm going to be a Berean. I'm going to be a Berean. And I'm going to look at what the Bible says. Isaiah this. Okay, here. Okay. It aligns with scripture. But because they lack knowledge, they can't say it is also written. It is also written. They can't say that. Oh, this angel of light presented to himself to me and says, you know, thus said the Lord, I was a Berean. I checked with scripture and it aligned with scripture. Okay. What about the, it is also written. What are you talking about? There you go. The exposure of immaturity. I, you know, I, 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 this is no boast. No boast. My boast is in Christ. And I speak as a fool in saying this. But I told you about that four-hour conversation. It was like three hours and 40 minutes. Three hours, 45 minutes. I'm rounding to say four-hour. Four-hour conversation with a guy. And he would say things about the Bible. You know, it, it was a conversation. And he was saying X, Y, Z about the Bible. And, you know, he would say, you know, he would it just... Pick out scripture out of his head. Oh, you know, uh, uh, Jeremiah 6 says this. It's like, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It says this. You're referring to Ezekiel. Oh, but Acts 16 says this. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. You're referring to uh, uh, Acts 21. And so he would say things. The Bible says this. And I would say, it is also written. We did that about maybe eight times. He would say, the Bible says this. Okay, it is also written. And we'd have, you know, a conversation about that. Oh, but the Bible says this. Okay, I get what you're saying. Yes, the Bible does say that. Not where you're citing, but the Bible does say that. Where you're citing says this, but, you know, what you say it cites, which is incorrect, it really says this. And you're leaning on this scripture, which is really over here. But it is also written. And we had this long conversation. And we did that maybe eight times, maybe nine times, maybe ten times. It was, it was up there. Probably eight, or eight to ten times. It is also written. That's like ten tiers of it is also written. This is no boast whatsoever. No boast. My boast is in Christ and I speak as a man. I speak as a fool. And finally, at the end of our conversation, he says, I'm the guy the Bible warns you of. You see, he knew who, exactly who he was. At the beginning of our conversation, I had no idea who he was. Spiritually speaking, I had no idea. I knew him, but I didn't know what was in his heart. The beginning of our conversation, I had no idea. Even 10 minutes, 20 minutes into our conversation, I had a hunch. Four hours in, three hours, 45 minutes in. 10 tiers of it is also written. I know exactly who he was. 
I knew exactly who he was. You see? This is no boast to say like, wow, you know, the knowledge. Look, It's nothing like that. But this is how dangerous, this is how dangerous this battle is. Because five minutes, ten minutes into our conversation, I had a little hunch. But how many people did this guy speak to? How many lambs did this guy speak to? How many sheep did this guy speak to? You see? And how many did he reveal? I'm the guy the Bible warns you of. All the sheep that he spoke to before, all the lambs that he spoke to before. And in his heart, he knew exactly who he was when he says, I'm the guy the Bible warns you of. But the unsuspecting lambs, the unsuspecting sheep. You see? And wolves need to be killed. If you're a shepherd, wolves need to be killed. And I say that metaphysically. I don't say that, you know, the false teacher, okay, go kill him. No, I don't I don't say it. Spiritually speaking. Oh, you're so mean, you're so mean. No. It's the duty of the shepherd. It's the duty. And you know, you have to speak truth. Truth of God's holy word. Old Testament and New Testament. There are passages where we study and it's like, whoa, that is hardcore. Sometimes I even give warning. Like if you have kids, we're going to talk about some heavy sexual stuff. If you have kids, you know. Maybe listen to it, and then if you think it's okay, then listen listen to it with your family, with your kids. And, you know, maybe you're a kid listening, and you're like, okay, I'm going to listen to this, and you, your parents are like Catholic, your parents are uh, 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 Hindus, your parents are whatever, and you're listening, and, you know, you hear me say like a warning for kids, and you're a kid yourself. You know, understand that this world is crazy. Sex, drugs, alcohol, you know, there's high places all around us. Just don't let the high places be in your heart. Because your heart is for Jesus Christ and for Him alone. Him alone. Not Him plus, you know, Buddha. Him plus the Virgin Mary. Him plus the Hare Krishnas. No, Him plus zero. Him alone. In your heart. And that's what's so beautiful what we see here with Balaam. This interaction. But it's for the short term. No root. Just like we looked at in Luke 8. No root. An Old Testament example of a baby believer. And so... We see here in verse 4 of Numbers 23, And God met Balaam and said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull on a ram. Or this is what Balaam says to the Lord. And then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him. You see, the obedience of Balaam. Wow, praise be to the Lord. The Lord says, Go return, and he returns. You see, obedience, it's not long-term obedience. It's short-term obedience. Short-term obedience, long-term disobedience. Maybe you know somebody like that. They were on fire for the Lord. They were obedient to the Lord. 
but for a short period of time. And the memory of such an individual, the memory of such a people maybe, brings tears to your eyes. And I say to you, rejoice, not in their stumbling, but rejoice in the long-suffering of your heart because it's that of our Lord. Your heart being aligned with Him. And in that, you can rejoice. In their fall, it's terrible. It's sad. But your heart being having intimacy with the heart of our Lord, close to the heart of our Lord, Rejoice in that. Rejoice in him. In verse six, and so returned to him. So he so he returned to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering. He and all the princes of Moab. So Balak isn't alone. Balak, it's not just Balak and Balaam at the high places. It's Balaam who has intimacy with the Lord, short term, and Balak. And Balak's not alone. He has all the princes of Moab with him. So were there two princes? I don't know. Were there ten princes? I don't know. Was it three to one? And when I say to one, that's Balaam. Was it a three to one rate? Was it was it Balak and prince number one, prince number two, and it was three to one? You know, Balaam being the only one who has intimacy with the Lord. Or were there ten princes or twenty princes? I don't know. But either way, Balaam is outnumbered. Balaam is outnumbered. You see, I say that because there is, there is an element of danger behind solitude in, in most cases. I mean, solitude, intimacy with Christ and solitude in Him, it's the most beautiful thing ever. But if you're a baby Christian, if you have not yet matured in Christ, it's also dangerous because the enemy can isolate you. I mean, look at cops. When cops, look how dangerous it is for a cop to be solo. Cops usually go in partners and pairs. You see? But then we look at here, it's like, wow, there's there burnt offerings? Now, burnt offerings aren't unique to Israel. Who... The burnt offering is unto and why the burnt offering is, why it's being performed. That reveals a lot. Because Israel unto the Lord, praise be to his name. Why? When it's for their atonement, for, their, for them to be right before the Lord, praise be to his name. In accordance to the law, I'm not advocating the law, but in accordance to the law. Praise be to the Lord. But there were other gods that were they would make sacrifices and burnt offerings unto unto the Baals, unto the Ashtoreths, unto the Moleks. Like I have a newfound hatred of the word Holocaust, a newfound hatred. Now, if you're Hebrew, if you're Jewish, I love you. But I have a newfound hatred of the word Holocaust. And I'll tell you why, because in the Greek Holocaust, Holocauston, or Holocaustos, it's, it kills me. I, I don't like it because it translates in the Greek as a burnt offering. And the world just, oh, the Holocaust, the Holocaust. 
you know, Hitler and, you know, the Holocaust. I don't like it because it translates as the burnt offering. Well, when Jews were burnt, what was the burnt offering to? I don't, I don't like that. Oh, the word is used in the New Testament. No, it's halokotoma. Uh, uh, That's the word in the New Testament. But the world has this idea of the holocaust. It was a burnt offering. They burned the Jews. Hitler gave the command, burn the Jews. Round up all the Jews. Round up all the Jews. You know, put them in the concentration camps. I have a newfound hatred of the word concentration camps. It was the camp for killing. Put them in the ovens and burn them. Light them on fire, burn them. Put their ashes over here of the Jews. And the world wants to refer to that as the Holocaust, a burnt offering. Unto who? That's my newfound hatred of the word Holocaust. I don't like it. I mean, we reference it because it's the, you know, the world reference. But I just don't like it. It just rubs me the wrong way. I don't like it. There's all kinds of burnt offerings. All kinds of different burnt offerings. But understand, you know, unto who? And why reveals a lot. Reveals a lot. Look at what's happening here. The high places. The high places of the Baal. There's this burnt offering being offered up. And then all of a sudden, in verse 7, all of a sudden, look what happens here. And he took up his oracle. This oracle in the Hebrew is mashal. Mashal, it's a, a, a maxim or a truth or principle, but it's spoken in parable, in poem, or in discourse, and it's metaphorical. Metaphorically. He took up his oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram. Now, Aram here is a Pethor. Uh, uh, it's uh, uh, the area of Mesopotamia. Very interesting because... Mesopotamia, you know, you have these mockers. You know, it's, uh, the mockers say, well, wait a second. I thought, you know, it was uh, Pethor, but, you know, you say Mes- Mesopotamia. Now, I say this from, uh, turn with me really quick to Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23. And in Deuteronomy 23, says, Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. Verse 3, an Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Now, very interesting, he says, and because they hired against you, Balaam. So now we see something different here. Not something different, but something in addition. It's not just Balak. If it was just Balak, it would have said, because he hired against you, referencing Balak. But says, because they hired against you, Balaam. So Balaam was offering his services. Yeah, I'll, I'll take money from Balak. 
But it wasn't just Balak. And remember Balak as a type of Satan, the persistence of Balak. What about Satan's persistence upon you? Satan's persistence upon you. He'll come at you one day. He'll come at you the next day. He'll come at you the next week. He'll come at you the next month. And then he'll come at you, you know, the following month using another vessel. One of his vessels. He'll come at you the next day using another demon with a different vessel. You see, he's not a fair fighter. But he's persistent. So he says here, because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Mesopotamia here, it translates in the Hebrew as Aram Neharim. Aram Neharim. Now this is referenced in Padan Aram. This is referenced in the book of Genesis. You have mockers in these last days. Oh, the Bible's so fake. The Bible's so fake. But you look at all the archaeological discoveries that are happening just a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago. There was a discovery in Egypt. And you, you read the news articles and they say Luxor, the, the city, a town of Luxor was discovered in Egypt. They say Luxor, Luxor. All the news articles, Luxor, Luxor, Luxor. But you get further, you read the actual, you have to do a, like a, a pretty hardcore search, but you do like read the, the actual archaeologist statements from the archaeologists. You know what they say? It's Thebes. I say Thebes because I teach from America, but it's Thebes. Thebes. Or Tibets. You know where that's in? The book of Judges. Thebes. Judges chapter 9. You won't see that in the news articles. They'll say Luxor. Oh yeah, this town of Luxor was discovered, this archaeological discovery. But you won't see it in the news article. Oh, they won't say, oh yeah, this is Thebes from the Bible. They won't say, this is Thebes referenced in Jeremiah 46 verse 25. That's what they won't say. Why? Because the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age doesn't want you to know Jesus Christ. The spirit of the age doesn't want you to have relationship with Jesus Christ. Doesn't want you to know that there's validity to the word of God and not just validity because if you start to know, if you're a non-believer and you're listening, if you start to understand that there's validity to the Bible, you know what's going to happen? Just like the ocean Oh, there's validity to the ocean. You say, my whole life I've been told the ocean is fake. But I, I think there's an ocean. So what do you do? You walk to the beach. You go to the beach. You're like, whoa, I see the ocean. And the Antichrist spirit, which is alive and well and growing strong, is going to want to keep you away from the ocean. The whole time you've been told, there's no ocean, there's no ocean. You go from Nebraska to Southern California. You say, wow, there's a beach here. I thought there was no beach. I've been told my whole life there's no beach. There's no ocean. And there you are. You see the sand, and then you see the ocean. Whoa. Then you walk on the sand. You're like, whoa, I've never walked on sand before. 
You walk on the sand. Then you get to the wet sand where it's like, you know, harder. It's easier to walk. And then the water touches your feet. Then you get deeper and deeper and finally you just dive right in. That's what happens. The world, the, 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 the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist, does not want you to know that there's validity to the Bible. Not just validity. Because if you start to know that there's validity to the Bible, you know what? You're going to want to go from Nebraska to Southern California. You know, metaphysically speaking, spiritually speaking, And you're going to get closer. You're going to get closer to the, the coast and you're going to smell it. You're, the, the, the coastal smells. You're going to look up. You're not going to see the ocean. You're not going to see the sand just yet. But you're going to look up and you're going to see the seagulls. You're going to see kites in the air. See? And you're going to come closer and closer. Boom, you see the ocean. Wow, my whole life I've been told there's no such thing as the ocean. There's validity to the fact that there's an ocean. And not just validity, now you're diving in. The spirit of the age, the zeitgeist, the age of Aquarius does not want you to understand, even think, or even, even think a little bit about any validity to the truth of God's holy word. But I tell you today, there's not just validity to the Word of God. The Word of God is life. There's life. Life everlasting. Come on. You see, let's walk to paradise. But before that, hit pause and listen to a message, How to Receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You say the sinner's prayer. And I, you know, I, I say that sometimes, you know, that say, you know, say the sinner's prayer. But it, it's deeper. It's not just, you know, say the sinner's prayer. It's, it's deep. It's deep. It's the prayer to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, but it's also the prayer of repentance. Lord, forgive me. Committing your life to Jesus Christ. And then you're done. Okay, come on, let's go. Let's walk to paradise. Let's take a dip in the ocean. And then let's go on to paradise. Let's go back to Numbers. Numbers 20. Oh, Deuteronomy 23. I didn't finish. So, uh, that mess, uh, Deuteronomy 23, uh, uh, verse 4. Because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Remember, you know, the news, when you look at the news, you'll, you'll see articles about Luxor. But you won't see any reference to Debes, just like the Bible. You won't see the news saying, oh yeah, this is the biblical city of they won't say that. Oh, Luxor. Oh, yeah, I heard about Luxor. I've seen it in movies, Luxor. I've heard about a, a place in Vegas called Luxor. Oh, man, that's fine. But the news won't tell you. That's Debes in the Bible. Why? Because they don't even want you to think that there might be any hint of truth in the Bible because it's the Antichrist spirit. You see? Verse 5, nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. So, 
very interesting because where we're at in Numbers 23, you see the, the, the Lord speaking to Balaam. But when he says here in verse 5, would not listen to Balaam, it makes me wonder, what was Balaam's request to God? If the Lord wouldn't listen to Balaam, what was Balaam asking of the Lord? Remember, he heard from the Lord. I mean, we're studying that in, in, in Numbers 23. He heard from the Lord. And he obeyed the Lord. But it's only for the short term. What were his requests to God? Knowing God's position. He knew what Balak's position was. He knew what God's position was. I wonder what his requests were. And it makes me think of my own walk. And it makes me think of your own walk. Personally, it makes me think of your own walk. Because are there any ever any times where you make your prayers, your, your requests and petitions known to the Lord in obedience to the Word? I mean, He desires that. But are your requests in contradiction to His Word? That's not good. That's not good. Oh, Lord, you know, I'm going to go to this strip club. Help me, be, help me drive there safe. It's a strip club on, on the other side of town because I, I can't be seen in town. I can't be seen near town because, you know, people know me. I go to church and all these things, and I know people that do that. They go to the bars across town because if they do that here in, 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 in the vicinity of home, they know too many people. People would see them and say, I thought you were a Christian. So they go across town, go to the bars, go to the clubs, go to the strip clubs. That's what they do. Oh, Lord, bless me. Give me traveling mercies so I can go here to the strip club. Keep me safe as I go to the strip club and then keep me safe. I come home and be with my family. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. See? When you make your prayers and petitions and your requests, it's beautiful before the Lord. But as you grow and as you mature, you're going to understand. And as you yield to His Word and you yield to His Spirit, you're going to understand, wow, wait a second. I was going to ask for this, but I need to repent because my heart wasn't right. Or maybe my heart isn't right. Not past tense, present tense. My heart isn't right. I wanted to ask for this. But the Bible says that's not good. The Bible says that's not for me because I'm a Christian. And so now I'm going to repent. You see? I wonder what Balaam's requests were to the Lord. Because the Lord, the Lord wouldn't listen to Balaam as is revealed here in verse 5. But the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. You see, God is love. How many times do you hear people say, I don't like reading the Old Testament because God is too judgmental. God is just full of wrath in the Old Testament. Well, it is written here. The Lord your God loves you. God is love. The same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We get away with it today to think that, you know, God is gracious. I mean, God is gracious. But His gracious, His grace isn't forever. I mean, the nature of the Lord, I mean, His love, His grace, His mercy, it, that's forever. But when I say His grace, I shouldn't have said it that way, but when I say His grace isn't forever, I mean, understand that the door of grace is going to close. It's going to close. He's still gracious. And yes, the Lord is gracious. These are the days of grace. So repent and come to Christ. 
Because once the door closes, the door of grace, all of a sudden the eyes of Israel will open. You see? And then judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Oh, but we're under grace. We're under grace. Praise be to the Lord. But the door, it's not wide open like it was 100 years ago. It's not wide open like it was 500 years ago. It's going to close one day. And the Lord tells us what the world is going to look like when the door is getting closer to being closed. So let's go back to Numbers 23. And in Numbers 23... We see here in verse 7, And he took up his oracle and said, Balak the king of Moab has brought me from Aram. This is Aram, Pethor, Mesopotamia. And that's what we looked at, Deuteronomy 23. And what I was going to say is you have these mockers. These mockers today who say, Oh, the Bible's so fake. The Bible's so fake. Is it Mesopotamia or is it Pethor? It's the same. It's, it's like, like if, if you meet somebody from Los, Los Angeles. You say, Oh, I'm from L.A. They'll say, Oh, I'm from L.A. too. What part? Now, somebody not from Los Angeles would be like, what are you talking about? You guys are both from L.A. But no, a person, an Angelino will say, oh, what part? Because in the city of Los Angeles, there's Bell, there's Inglewood, there's Culver City. You know, depending on who you're talking to, oh, I'm from the 310. <laughs> I'm from the 323. Then you get like a little understanding of, okay, this is, you know, you grew up here in this part. You grew up in this part. Still Angelinos, but different different areas. But the same thing applies in the Bible. The mockers today, they'll say, well, what is it? Is it Mesopotamia or is it Pethor? Same. Aram, Padan, Aram. Genesis, referencing Genesis. So, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. That's Balak's desire. And that was Balak's request of Balaam. And now this is Balaam, this is verse 7, it's all Balaam speaking, but in verse 8, Balaam continues, How shall I curse whom God has not, not cursed? Like, wow, Balaam, wow, you're so obedient to the Lord. Right here he is. He's obedient to the Lord. Right here, not long term, short term. And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Wow, he's so obedient to the Lord. But it's short term. Short term. Because in the course of time, this obedience that we see right here, it becomes disobedience. He fails to finish well. Just like we looked at last week. This, you know, everybody could start a race. Anybody could start at the marathon. The very beginning, anybody. That's where you see the multitudes of people. You go to the finish line, you don't see the same multitudes of people. Why? They didn't finish well. Some pooped out. Maybe some got injured. Look at the church. Look at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Population-wise, is a lot different from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Population-wise. It's a smaller group. What happened? Truth. That's what happened. I say the Lord cleaned house and the Lord cleaned house using Paul. It's sad. But remember Jesus Christ says, I, do you think I came to, to bring peace? That's what he says. A question. Do not think I came to bring peace, he says. 
I came to divide. That's what he says. I came to divide. You see? That's what happens. That's what truth does. It divides. You have a choice to make. You know what? I'm for the Lord. I'm for the Lord. You want to go do crack? That's fine. You know, I don't want you to. But if you've made your choice and you want to go do crack, okay. I'm not going to. I'm not going with you. You have a choice to make. You want to go to the strip club? I don't want you to, but you know, you want to go, you you do you, but I'm a Christian. I'm abiding in Christ. I'm not going to go to the strip club. I'm not going to do your crack. I'm not, it's from Chiapas, Mexico, the finest crack. I don't care. I don't want that stuff anymore. That's the old me. That's the old nature. We're not going to do that anymore. You, I'm not going to go, you come with me. Let's go to church. Let's have a Bible study. Let's pray. But I'm not doing that anymore. You see, you have a choice to make. Your obedience to your king. Now, whether or not the K is capitalized, that's between you and the Lord. I desire, I desire for your K to be capitalized. The King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. But in your heart, you might have high places to the bales, to the asterisks, to the molex. You see? In your heart. And in your heart, you, you are the one that has to tear those high places down. In some cases, the Lord will do it for you. Don't build them up again. You see? Don't build them up again. And when temptation comes, you look for the door. Look for the way of escape. We've studied that. You look for the way of escape. Oh, but the angel of the Lord told me this. Okay, did it align with Scripture? Yes, I'm a Brian. I checked and it aligns with Scripture. Okay. Did what this angel of light is what he said, it aligns with Scripture, but does, does that statement from this angel of light, yes, it aligns with one passage? But there are there any other passages that contradict what this so-called angel of light said? I don't know. Okay, well then, let's be patient. Let's be patient. Don't do what you were going to do just yet. We have to test the spirits. So many times people say, oh yeah, I'm a Brian, I'm a Brian, I'm a Brian. The angel of light, the spirit of the Lord told me this. I checked scripture and, you know, one verse and it was fine. So I'm going to go out and do this. I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. What happens? They get destroyed. They get beat up in the wilderness. Oh, but I'm listening to the Lord. I'm listening to the Lord. Are there any, it is also written? I don't know. (laughs) You see? Satan doesn't mind baby believers. He can trick baby believers in thinking that they're obedient to the Lord while he's seducing them and luring them away from the Lord. He's persistent, just like we see Balak. The persistence of Balak. Yeah, Balaam's obedient. Look at what I mean. It's like, wow, you look. 
Verse 8, how shall I curse what God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Wow, Balak so obedient. But Balak is persistent and Balak is not alone. He has his chiefs with him. His princes with him. Numerically speaking, Balaam is outnumbered. Yes, he's obedient to the Lord. But his obedience is in the very, very short term. Very, very short term. Because there's no root to his relationship with Christ. There's no root to his intimacy with Christ. Why? Well, prophet. Prophet. We looked at that. Our study last week. Prophet. You see? Let's look at verse 9. For from the top of the rocks I see him. Speaking about uh, 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 Jacob. Here. Remember in verse 8 it says, Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. And you know when Balaam says, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? From, for from the tops of the rocks I see him. Speaking about Jacob and Israel. Jacob and Israel are the same. Remember Jacob has his name changed when he wrestled with the Lord? And as the name changed, the Lord says, now you are Israel governed by God. And remember, they're in the high places of the Baals. They look down and they say, wow, look, I see Jacob there, Israel. And from the hills, I behold him there, exclamation point, there, a people dwelling alone. Now, you and me, we know that Israel is not alone. We know that Israel is not alone. The Lord is with them. But he says there. A people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Very interesting. Now, this is me personally. I can't corroborate this anywhere, but me personally, I think this is one step in the direction of error for Balaam. One step, the first step maybe. The first step in Balaam's error. Why? Because in the Hebrew, not reckoning itself among the nations. In the Hebrew, this is, for reckoning, is chashab. I use my, my, my Hebrew dialecta. Chashab. Which is to weave together and interpenetrate. Which, to be mixed and united by penetration. Now, there are sexual connotations to this. But there are also spiritual connotations to this. To be woven together and interpenetrate. To be mixed and united by penetration. There are sexual uh, implications to this. the use of this word, chashab. But there are also spiritual. You say, what do you mean? Well, let's look at chapter 25. Chapter 25. Chapter 25. Verse 1, chapter 25, verse 1. says, Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. Very interesting. Very interesting, the women. How is it that Balak had this idea in his head? You know, I'm not going to send my mightiest of warriors down to the, uh, this plain of Moab. I'm not going to send my mightiest of warriors. I'm going to send the women. Very interesting. 
who Balak, a type of Satan, uses. The people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor. That's that Hashab penetration. Man, when I say there's sexual and spiritual implications, I mean, we see that right here in chapter 25, verse 1, 2, and 3. Yes, there's the, I, I don't want to be crass in saying this, but there's the, you know, the sexual act of penetration. There's that aspect when, you know, Balak said, oh, I'm not going to send my mightiest of warriors. I'm going to send the women to the camp of Israel. But then there's also the spiritual aspect of chashab, which is, what did these women believe? And this belief system of these women, look at what happened to Israel. So Israel was joined, joined to Baal. Whoa. Baal is another word for a husband. You see? Israel was joined to another husband. Harlotry, spiritual harlotry. You see? But the same can happen to you and me as believers in Christ. Yes, we believe in Christ. But not for the short term, for the long term. We look forward to the better husband. Capital H, the better husband. The better marriage. You see? Not the bales. Not husbandry unto another. Unto Christ. King of kings and Lord of lords. Son of the most high God. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And remember chapter 31 verse 16. This is through the council of Balaam. The council of Balaam. Now, we go back to chapter 23 in our study, and in verse 9, you know, when he says, not reckoning itself among the nation, it is, you know, it's chashab, not weaving together, not uh, interpenetrating, not being mixed or united by penetration. Now, there's, the, you know, just as we look at chapter 25, verse 1 and 3, 1 through 3, there's the sexual implications and there's the spiritual implications through penetration. I don't want to be crass in saying it, but... You get my drift. Now, I have something to say to my sisters in Christ. To my sisters. Satan knows how to attack the men in your life. And he uses women. He uses women. And he's persistent. That's, he's not a fair fighter. And I say this to my sisters in Christ as an encouragement and as uh, to, to help you in your walk and to help you in your own fight. You have to be careful because what many well-intentioned wives, what they do, they want to they be mommy. They want to be mommy to their husbands. And, you know, I have to tell you, men are lazy. You know, to my beautiful brothers in Christ, you know, I'm not throwing us under the bus. But men are lazy. Men are lazy. You know, uh, uh, the, the mindset of a man is like, you know, I shouldn't say the mindset, the mindset of a boy. 
the mindset of a boy is, you know, I don't have to fill in the blank when my wife does it. You know, like if, you know, I don't have to uh, keep the uh, kitchen table clean because my wife does it for me. I don't have to keep the the counter clean because my wife does it. I don't have to keep the bathroom clean because my wife does it. I don't have to vacuum this because my, I don't have to cut the grass because my wife does it. That's the, men are lazy. The boys are lazy. Boys are lazy. I say men, but you know, that's speaking in the natural, natural sense. Spiritually speaking, boys. Boys are lazy. It's the mindset. If I, you know, I don't have to do this when my wife does it for me. And a lot of well-intentioned women, knowing that Satan uses other women to kill their husbands, to seduce and destroy their husbands. Women know that. Or the wives know that. And sometimes the non-wives, they know that. But where you have to be careful is when you want to turn into mommy to your husband. Some husbands like it. They're boys. Some husbands permit it. They're boys. Because they say, oh, I don't have to do this because my wife does it for me. So they're little boys. But what's much better is to help your husband mature in Christ. To help your husband die to self with his selfish nature. Help your husband die. Instead of killing the women, kill your husband. That's better. Oh, but... The, the wife, this other woman is coming to attack my husband. I'm going to kill the woman. Well, what's much better is to kill your husband. That's what's, what's much better. Help your husband carry his cross. Help your husband be crucified with Christ. That's what's much, much better. Because in the mind of your husband, your husband is going to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In the mind of your husband, in his mind, instead of thinking upon dirty things, instead of thinking about the, the women of Baal, he's going to think about whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. That's what his mind is. He's going to be obedient to Christ in his mind. A lot of well-meaning wives, they say, okay, the woman is coming to my husband. I'm going to kill the woman. It's foolishness. Because Satan is persistent. Satan is persistent. It's not to say you're a fool, woman. But that mindset is foolishness. Why? Because Satan is persistent not just to you. He's persistent to your husband. He's gonna, he's gonna, the onslaught unto your husband is going to be nonstop. Nonstop. Rather than you, woman, sister, beautiful sister beloved sister rather than you focus on that other woman focus on the man and kill him spiritually speaking metaphysically speaking when I say help him die help him die be crucified with Christ you see that's much better because he can mature and instead of thinking about the women of Baal He's going to think about the Lord, his better husband, looking forward to the better marriage. That's what's going to happen. I think it's very interesting because one time I remember my pastor in California, he was out on a mission trip in another country outside of the States. And his wife came up, beautiful, beautiful woman, spiritually speaking, 
she gets up and gives like a little, uh, uh, like an update of his exploits. I say exploits in a good sense, you know, like the, the exploits that the last day's church is going to do in the name of the Lord. How the Bible says that those, uh, uh, those who know their God shall perform exploits from the book of Daniel. But he, she was explaining his exploits, giving an update. And, you know, it was so beautiful. And he's out of the country. She's like home alone. And she's giving the updates. And there was a lady in, in, the, in the, the, among the people, like a, the congregation. There was a lady. She raised her hand and, you know, she was called upon. And then she asked a question like, you know, your husband, this is what this, this, this lady, a female in the church, asked of the pastor's wife. And she says, you know, your husband travels a lot. Aren't you worried? I mean, he's all by himself. Aren't you worried? And, you know, it's very beautiful what this lady said, what, this, the, what the pastor's wife said. And she says this, so simple. She says, if he wants to burn in hell, that's his problem. That's all she said. If he wants to burn in hell, that's his problem. And that's so... It was met by gasps. You could hear like some women gasp. I can't believe she said that. But what's so beautiful, the old women, the old women, they like had a big smile on their face and they were like grinning and they were like moving their head up and down. It's so true. And I don't say that to like, you know, like convict the women. I don't say that to convict the man. Like, okay, if you want to burn in hell, that's your problem. But I say that to help you in your walk with maturity. And I say that because a lot of wives, they're like heavy laden because they're busy being mommy to their husbands. You can't do that. I mean, you can, but you're going to poop out. You're going to get tired and you're going to poop out just like Balaam pooped out. You're going to be exhausted. You see it? You see the basket case, basket case wives in the church all over the place because they pooped out. They're like the Balaam. Well-intentioned, well-meaning. But just like the persistence of Balak, there's the persistence of Satan. As Satan gets a twofer. You know, the wife wants to be mommy. And, you know, in the course of time, he knows that the wife is going to get tired. And in the course of time, as the wife gets tired trying to be mommy, he's going to attack the husband. Woman number one gets killed by the wife. Woman number two gets killed by the wife. Woman number 50 killed by the wife. Woman number 100, the wife's pooped out. You see? Woman number 101, woman number 102, and he gets a twofer. Kills the wife, kills the husband. Twofer. What happens to the kids? Now the kids are isolated. Roams around like a lion, waiting for whom he may devour. He devoured the husband. He devoured the wife. She pooped out. He devours the husband. You know, who was not a man, was a boy. You know, if my wife is going to do this, I don't have to do it. Because boys are lazy. The little boy husband hasn't matured. So now the wife is dead. The husband's dead. Now the kids are all alone. And roaming around like a lion, waiting for whom he may devour. 
Now the children get killed. Child number one, dead. Child number two, dead. Child number three, dead. Number four, dead. Family, dead. You see? Alive, walking, but spiritually dead. That's what happens. He doesn't play fair. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. And with maturity, a mind is no longer predisposed to the old man. And I say this to my sisters in Christ, for the sake of your husband. With maturity, a mind is no longer predisposed to the old man because he is new and moving on to perfection. And my pastor's wife in California, when the lady asked her, you know, doesn't it bother you? Doesn't it bother you that your husband travels a lot? I mean, like he's in another country right now. Aren't you, aren't you afraid? Aren't you worried? And she just flat out said, if he wants to burn in hell, that's his problem. And it was the young women, the young wives, like, you know, under 40. They were like, <gasps> they gasped. But the white-haired women, the beautiful, beautiful, wrinkled and white-haired women, they had big, huge smiles on their faces and they were nodding. Yep, it's true. Praise be to the Lord. I say this not to convict wives, the women. I say this to help you in your walk and to take comfort in this and know this nature of the battlefield. Instead of killing the women, the women of Baal, that come to your husband, instead of killing them, kill your husband. Kill him. You see? Spiritually speaking, help him crucify his flesh. So that as Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, your husband can also say, I am crucified with Christ. Don't forget, Jesus Christ himself also had, had help carrying his cross. Don't forget you be the one to help your husband carry his cross to his death. Then the women of Baal are going to come to your husband. He's like, get behind me, Satan. The carnal man, you know, like a woman comes, you know, and the stupid talk, you know, the talk of a, of a harlot. The whore comes to him, you know, and it's the, 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 the young, the baby men, the, the boys. Yeah, I still got it. I still got it. You know, a fat guy. I still got it. That's carnality. That's stupid. But it's the men, the mature men, who say, they don't take the bait. They don't take the bait. They see it. You know, it's Satan. It's Satan. It's, you know, attack number 500. Attack number 1,000. Attack number 10,020. But moving on to perfection, that's what happens. Then you have a lot of well-intentioned wives, well-intentioned women, sisters in Christ. Young. Not mature. But young. Well-intentioned. Oh, I want to protect my husband. I don't want my husband to do this. So, I'm, you know, I'm going to kill these women. Women dead. Woman number one dead. Two dead. Three dead. Four dead. Well-intentioned. But you're going to get tired. You're going to poop out. 
you're going to come to exhaustion. Just like Balaam. Obedient in the short term. Oh, but the Lord told me to do this. The Lord told me to do it. Did you test the spirits? Yeah, it was an angel of light. Did you read scripture? Yes, it, it said it here. Okay. Are there any, it is also written? I don't know. <laughs> well then, hold on. Let's slow down. You know, for my sisters in Christ, I tell you the exhortation of another woman, my pastor's wife. If he wants to burn in hell, that's his problem. You see? He has a choice to make. The young women gasped, but as the old woman who saw beauty in that council, the old, mature women who were moving on to perfection. Not alone with their husbands, but had the same mindset. You know, if husband wants to burn in hell, that's his problem. And the husband said the same. You know, he would come back, you know, and she would go on mission trips. The wife, you know, the pastor would come back and she would go on mission trips. Sometimes with other women, but to exhort the women in other churches and in other countries. And he would say the same thing. If she wants to burn in hell, that's her problem. It's like with the, in the marriage chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let, let the married live as though they were not married. It's like, you know, there's marriage there, but the two are all about the Lord's business for the sake of the church. So that he as pastor could go and exhort other churches, exhort other pastors, other elders, exhort them, warn them, teach them, pray for them. And she could do the exact same thing unto women, ministry leaders, women ministry leaders. Married, but as though they were not married because two, looking forward to the better husband, the better marriage. You see? Very powerful. This is just from one, here we are in Numbers 23, from not even a verse, one little sentence, not even a sentence, one little phrase in a sentence, not reckoning itself among the nations, from verse 9. Not, that's, not chashab, not weaving together or interpenetrating Israel among other nations, among the nations. What is it that that statement could have put in the mind of Balak? Hmm, Interesting. Interesting. So Israel is not being, not weaving together or interpenetrating with Moab? Who's our God here in Moab? Oh, it's the Baal. So Israel is not interpenetrating with the Baal? So now, maybe instead of my strong warriors who, you know, couldn't even defeat Israel. Instead of sending my strong warriors, I'm going to send women unarmed in the natural sense. Unarmed. I'm going to send the women down. And they're going to weave together with Israel. 
There's going to be the interpenetration to be mixed or united by penetration, which there's the sexual connotation. But there's also the spiritual connotation. What is it that those women are introducing? There's the physical penetration, sexually speaking. But then, okay, now these women, unarmed. Physically, you know, in the natural realm, unarmed. But now these women are going to start teaching the veils. That's why you have women, Christian. I say this to my beautiful sisters in Christ. Well-intentioned, well-meaning wives who want to kill every single woman. They want to kill every single woman. Woman number one, woman number two, woman. They want to kill them all to their, for their husbands. They're being mommy to their husbands. You have to be very careful, sisters. Because you're helping your husband to be a boy. No, kill your husband. That's the better approach. Because if you do it the other way, if you want to be the spiritual mommy, your husband is going to be a boy and he's going to like it because, oh, yeah, if my wife does this, I don't have to do it anymore. You know, sorry, men. Or, you know, I say men in the natural realm, <laughs> but... You know, oh, he's throwing me under the bus. He's like, what are you doing? Don't throw this under the bus. You have a helper. I know, the Holy Spirit. No, lowercase h. You have a helper. Your wife. You see? What do you mean you want her to help me die? Absolutely. I want you to die too. You see? In Christ. Reckon the old man dead. Dead. So the wives, you know, well-meaning, kill all the women and they're going to get tired. You're going to get tired. If you're a, a wife, you're going to get tired. You're going to be like Balaam and poop out a year, five years, 10 years, even hardcore, 15 years. It's still 15 years. It's still short term. Even more hardcore, 20 years. It's still short term. And then all of a sudden, you know, your husband is a little boy. And then, you know, you're pooped out. So Satan got you. And now Satan's going to attack your husband. You see? Well-meaning wives. Now the wife is dead, spiritually speaking. Husband who's never grown, never matured. Because wife was spiritual mommy. The husband doesn't, isn't equipped isn't obedient in his mind because, you know, wife takes care of it. And, you know, boys are lazy, not the men. Boys are lazy. Oh, if my wife does it, I, I, don't, I don't have to clean the kitchen counter. My wife is going to take care of it. I don't have to clean the bathroom. My wife is going to take I don't have to, you know, vacuum the floor. My wife is going to take care of it. I don't have to cut the grass. My wife is going to take care of it. And little boys are lazy. You see? And so all of a sudden, husbands isolated, Satan attacks, not with no weapons, carnally speaking, with no weapons, but he'll use his vessel, woman number 500, when, you know, 400, woman number 499 was the last woman that all, the, the wife pooped out, the last woman that the wife killed, metaphysically speaking. 
So woman number 400 comes on the scene. Wife is dead. Satan killed her. And woman number 500, you know, there's the chashab weaving together the mixed and united by penetration. And now all of a sudden, there's that connection. But then there's a spiritual side. All of a sudden, the woman says, hey, let's go do some ayahuasca together. And it's a whole new ballgame. Another kind of being mixed and united by penetration. It's spiritual now. You see? Then you have husbands. Oh yeah, I used to be a Christian. But now I'm an atheist. I used to be a Christian when I was stupid and I didn't understand. But now I'm an atheist. You see? That's what they say. That's what you see in the world. Look at the state of the church. Salt has lost its flavor. And what does Jesus Christ say? When salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. Look at the state of the church today. What's happening? It's being trampled underfoot by men. Scripture is being fulfilled right before our eyes. Oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. Well, you need a new set of eyes. You need eyes to see and ears to hear. So so now husband, spiritually dead, you know, uh, uh, penetration, you know, by the flesh, penetration by the spirit. Now you have an atheist husband who's wicked in his ways. Then you have a dead wife who's pooped out from being spiritual mommy. Kids, kids all alone in the wilderness. You see? And Satan has a big old smile on, the, on his face. All right, now I get to devour the kids, he says. You see? Now I get to destroy the kids. That's what happens. And then you have the kids who grew up. Now they're spiritually dead. The kids grew up, they're atheists. Oh yeah, I used to be a Christian, but I don't believe in that stuff anymore. I do my ayahuasca just like my dad. I go to the strip clubs just like my dad. My mom's a basket case. I'm going to be a basket case too. You see, dad set the bar so low. So now I'm going to join together with this other guy who's a freak show like my dad. And the guys, the boys say, oh yeah, I'm going to join. I'm going to join together with this woman who's a freak show like my mom. You see. The whole time, they used to be Christians. They used to be their faith in Christ. The whole family is like a Balaam. That's what happens. Oh, stop. I don't like hearing this. I don't like hearing this. Listen. That's battle. Battle is ugly. And in battle, in war, there are casualties. Satan wants to kill you. He wants you dead. Balls in your court. Mature. Let us be a people that matures and grows in Christ. No short term. Not a believer. Not on fire for the Lord for five months, five years, five decades for the rest of our To our last dying breath. Women. 
Help your husbands die. Help your kids die. Men, help your wives die. Help your children die. Help them. Help them carry their cross, their instrument of death, so that they can be crucified with Christ. Even Jesus Christ had help carrying his cross. Don't forget that. Never, ever, ever forget that. That even our Lord himself had help carrying his cross. You help your husband, you help your wife, you help your kids carry their cross. When Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, that you can say, I also am crucified with Christ. That your husband, that your wife can also say, I also am crucified with Christ. That your children can say, I am also crucified with Christ. And let us move on to perfection. Let the dead bury the dead. And let's go fishing. It's going to get ugly. I mean, we're going to go fishing and we're under attack. But we've got a fishing pole. We've got swords. We've got armor. On to perfection. You see? In verse 10, look what happens here. Who can count the dust of Jacob? Now, in the Hebrew, this translates better as who can weigh out and enumerate the earth of Jacob? Like, you know, remember, they're on the high ground. They're looking down. Think of that, 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 that footprint that Israel has on the ground. Who can count the, the, who can weigh out or enumerate the earth, this footprint of Jacob? Or number one-fourth of Israel. Their numbers are vast. Remember, we're in the book of Numbers. In the census, there were hundreds of thousands. Who can, who can number? Who can number one-fourth of Israel? This is a powerful statement, what he says at the end of verse 10. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. The end. This is a beautiful desire that Balaam has. Except it doesn't come true for him. Because he's a short-term believer. He's obedient to the Lord in the short term, not the long term. Not the long term. Remember in chapter 22, we made that distinction between um, Jethro and Balaam. You see? Jethro Jethro of Midian. Non-Jewish. And yet, denied the gods of Midian for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Long-term, not short-term, long-term. Balaam of Peor, Aram, Mesopotamia, denied his gods and believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the short term. What was another love of his? Money. He liked the money. How powerful is this? Short term believer. Oh, that one saved, always saved. One saved, always saved. You know, where do we see that in the scriptures? You don't see it in the scriptures. In Jude chapter 1, I'm going to turn there. 
There's only one chapter, but in Jude chapter 1, verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. For profit. You see? Money. Balaam, oh yeah, I'll, I'll deny the gods of Aram, the gods of Peor. I'll deny these gods and I'll believe in the in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll, I'll not only believe in him, I'll be obedient to him. Just as we see here in Numbers 23. Just as we see here. But then at the same time, he had high places in his heart. What were the high places? Maybe not the Baal. But there was a high place for money. You see, just as the Holy Spirit revealed to Brother Jude. You have to tear down the high places. Sometimes the Lord does it. And praise be to His name. And the Lord certainly has a sword. Remember, when He comes again, He's going to have a sword out of His mouth. It's a time of judging. But as you grow and mature in Christ, He gives you a sword. And it teaches you how to use it. Have you ever given a weapon to a child? And I don't mean like, you know, so the child can go kill somebody. You know, I mean, like, I mean, depending on, you know, <laughs> depending on where you're at, you know. I mean, you know, you, you join the military, you give a weapon to a, a, a kid. And the kid learns how to use it. But you give like, you know, we live in such uh, patty cake culture. I don't like, me personally, I don't like it. I deal with it because, you know, what else are we going to do? You got to deal with it. But it's patty cake culture. Like when I was a kid, and it was even more hardcore, like in the 50s and the 20s. But like when I was a kid, like people used to have like pocket knives. You know, parents used to give their kids pocket knives back in the day. Nowadays, parents, they don't, they, oh, you're going to cut yourself. You see parents at the park, you know. Like it's a cloudy day. The kids are playing in the park. The sun comes out. They, oh, come over here. Come over there. Get inside. Get inside. What? Patty cake. Patty cake generation. You know, parents used to give their kids knives. Dads used to teach their kids how to use knives. You know, make spears. You take a, a branch, make a spear. Make things with a knife. With a, just a little pocket knife. That's what the Lord does with us. This patty cake generation, it, it doesn't help us in our walk with Christ. Because, you know, the Lord, our Father in heaven, gives us a sword. Oh, the patty cake generation, dads don't give their kids uh, knives or swords. But our Father in heaven your Father in heaven gives you a sword. It's the Word of God. And it's the sharpest, sharper than any two-edged sword. The sharpest of the sharp. And He gives it to you. Yes, He'll, he'll, he'll do battle for you. For your benefit, He'll do battles where you don't have to fight. But He gives you a sword. And as you grow, as you mature, your arms are going to get stronger. Your legs are going to get stronger. Your back is going to get stronger. 
Your brain is going to have more understanding. Your heart is going to go have more steadfastness. And you use the sword. You mature. Oh, but the Lord told me this. Did you confirm it in His Word? Yes. Are there any other? You know, it is also written. So I don't know. Did you test the spirits? Was it was it the Lord or was it Satan? Well, he just he spoke to my heart. Did you not know that the heart is desperately wicked? As it is written. You see? Oh, I don't like how you say it that way. That's that's the battlefield, my friend. That's warfare, my friend. That's combat, brother. That's combat, sister. That's combat, little one. You see? And Balaam here. Let me die in verse 10. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. It doesn't end that way. That might be his desire. But it doesn't end that way for Balaam because he had high places in his heart. You see? Just like Colossians teaches us, Brother Paul, the preeminence of Jesus Christ, not the prominence. With prominence of Christ, you're going to have other high places. The preeminence, meaning the high places, tear it down. Put away the crack. Put away the sex. Put away the alcohol. Put away the money. Put away the fill in the blank. Filthy lucre. Put it all away. Knock them down. The high places, destroy them. Destroy them with that sharp two-edged sword that your Father in Heaven gave you. To use. Destroy the high places. Not the prominence of Jesus Christ. The preeminence of Jesus Christ in your heart. And let's move on to perfection. You see? Exhorting one another daily. Just as Hebrews 3 says. Daily. In verse 11. Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies. Remember, that was his objective. He wants to curse Israel. I took you to curse my enemies and look, you have blessed them bountifully. And not just curse them for the sake of cursing, to curse them so that he could kill them. So he answered and said, must I not heed, must, must I not, this is Balaam, must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Very interesting. Wow, how noble, Balaam. How noble. Unbeknownst to Balaam at this particular juncture, his obedience is short-term. Short-term. Not until his last dying breath. Yes, he spoke in oracles of the Lord, from the Lord, but short-term. Yes, he has intimacy with the Lord. He speaks, the Lord hears. The Lord speaks, Balaam hears. Obedience, praise be to the Lord. Short-term. Short term, nobody told him, hey, Balaam, your belief in Jesus, your belief in God, 
your belief in God, it's to the day you die. Your love of money, get rid of it. Get rid of the high places nobody ever told him. You see? Or, you know, if the, the Lord impressed upon his heart, maybe his account, his, his sight of Israel, the obedience of Israel, what he hearkened in Israel, and yet he didn't heed long term. And what do I tell you? To the day you die. Obedience unto Christ. Unto the day you die. Every single day. To the day you die. You might be old. The journey is just a little bit shorter. You know. You might be like 80 years old listening. The journey is shorter than if you're 20 years old listening. Or if you're 10 years old. You and me. We have to die in the wilderness. Just like Israel. We have to die in the wilderness. The old nature, my old man, your old man, or your old woman, has to die in the wilderness. You're married? Help your spouse die in the wilderness. Help your kids die in the wilderness. The way of the flesh in, according, in accordance to Adam, the natural man, the natural woman. The spiritual, that's Christ. You see? And then we enter the promised land. Paradise. You can't enter paradise in the flesh. Entry into paradise requires death. You see? Verse 13. Then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. Wow, Balak's persistence. Okay, we're at the high places of Baal. And you know, I'm not getting what I want, Balaam. So here, let's go to another place. Very interesting. Remember Satan with Jesus Christ in Matthew 4? Here we are in point A. Okay, you're not biting. Here we are in point B. Okay, you're not biting. Here we are in point C. Okay. It is written, he says. And Jesus Christ says, it is also written. Look at the persistence of Satan unto our Lord himself. And look at the obedience of our Lord unto his Father, our Father. It is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You see, Satan leaves and the angels come to minister to Christ. What happens in this spiritual warfare? You're going to win battles. You're going to take a beating sometimes too. But you're going to win battles and angels will come down and minister. Give you comfort. Remember the things that angels desire to look into? We just studied that. Oh, that was for another dispensation. The Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. Fools. That's the mindset of the fool. Oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't do miracles. It's one of his gifts. That was for another dispensation. According to who? You can't say according to the word of God. 
because it is a biblical inaccuracy. Therefore, you take that notion and you throw it out with the trash. I mean, I say to you, but you have a choice. Look at the persistence of Balak. Hey, yeah, yeah, I'm not achieving my objectives over here, so therefore, let's go over here. Come with me to another place from which you may see them. In verse 13, you shall see only the outer part of them and shall not see them all. Curse them for me from there. Wow, that's Balak. Balak's desire is for Israel to be cursed. In verse 14, so he brought him to the field of Zophim to the top of Pisgah and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word, put a word in his mouth and said, go back to Balak and thus you shall speak. So he came to him and there he was standing by his burnt offering and the princes of Moab there with him. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? What has the Lord spoken? You see, look at what you see with Balaam. You see his obedience. You see the Lord speaking to him. But it's short term. Understand, short term. And knowing that it's short term, look at the persistence of Balak. The persistence of Balak. Who hired Balaam. And was alone. Remember, in Deuteronomy 23... They, plurality, they, Balaam was for hire. Why? Because among the high places in his heart, there was a temple of money. Money. Just like the Holy Spirit revealed to Brother Jude. In verse 18, then he took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and he will not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? He's speaking beautiful things about the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful things about the Lord. It's all short term. I say, I, I, may, I place heavy emphasis on short term because you know people who maybe today they're the the, the sex heads, the drug heads, the alcohol heads. They're doing all kinds of sex, drugs, rock and roll, everything. But you hit the rewind button in their lives. And you've seen beauty. A time from whence they once believed. But today, no longer. Then you get, in, then you get into Hebrews 6, kind of, kind of uh, applicationally speaking. Hebrews 6. Well, you definitely get into 1 Corinthians 5 for choices that you have to make to separate from such a person, depending on, you know, their, their proximity. But then what happens to them? Then you get into Hebrews 6. The re-crucification of Jesus Christ, which can't be done. They made their choice. And you pray. You pray. You intercede. You fight. Maybe they're tired of fighting. Maybe they've pooped out. Maybe you're a woman. You're a wife. You're moving on to maturity. You're not a mommy to your husband. Maybe you're an old lady with beautiful, beautiful white silvery hair. With beautiful, beautiful wrinkles. 
my beautiful sister in Christ. Maybe that's you. And you know the younger women who are getting pooped out. And you can't do that. I mean, you're old. You're feeble. You fought valiantly like a beautiful warrior. And your fight isn't done. You know why? Because you go on your face before the Lord. It might take you some time because you feel it in your bones, your aching body. But you're on your face before the Lord, interceding for your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. You're interceding for them. Stoking the flame. If there's a little tiny flame in their heart and you're stoking that flame so that it can burn, burn again. You see? Why? Love. Sacrificial love. Just like we talked about, 1 Corinthians 13. Just as we studied on Sunday. In the name of love. Not the superficial. Not the phony. The real. That even in your even with your sore back, even with your achy knees, you're still on your face before the Lord. So many people, they look at old people like, oh, this guy's so gross. Oh, this lady's so gross. You see like the, the wrinkles on the side of the mouth and you see like spit on the side of the mouth. Oh, that's so gross, this old person. That's the most beautiful people I know are like very close to death in the natural realm. Very close to death. The largest concentration of beauty I've seen in the older generation. Yeah, you got spit on the side of your mouth. Yeah, you have wrinkles. Yeah, when you cry, you're, they go like, your, your wrinkles are like little riverbeds, creek beds, and your tears go down. Not straight down your cheek like it used to when you were young. It's like squiggly all over the place because it's like your, your wrinkles are like a creek bed. You'll spit on the side of your mouth. I don't care. You ran your race. You fought valiantly, valiant, valiant battles. No casualty. You took casualties. <laughs> Beauty. Spittle, tears, riverbeds of tears in, in, the, in, in, in the creek beds of your veins or your, your, your wrinkles. Beauty. Silver hair, beautiful. White hair, beautiful. Valiant warriors. For Christ. And you keep fighting until the last dying breath. These beautiful things that Balaam is saying here. I mean, we could look at verse 19 and shout, Amen. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has, has he said, and he will not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make good? We can, we know the end of Balaam. It's, it doesn't turn out well for him. But we can look at verse 19, and all of us, amen. But look about the short-term believers that you know. You see? You intercede for them. They were on fire for the Lord. All of a sudden, they pooped out. They're flirting with the ayahuasca. 
They're doing the drugs, the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. They're going to the strip clubs. You've separated from them because anybody named a brother, you've separated from them. Okay, I get it. That's maturity. But the fight doesn't end there. Because you fight on your knees. You fight for them. In the spiritual realm. Just like we see the uh, 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 the uh, hashab, the weaving together, the interpenetration, the mixed and united by penetration in, in verse 9. Well, you take the fight to your knees and you know what you pray for? You know what you fight for? The decoupling of those things in the spiritual realm. The decoupling. So now for the men, the women who introduced the bales, all of a sudden you pray for that spiritual decoupling. The influence of the bales, gone. Now the guy awakens and realizes, man, who is this? Who is this floozy? You know, get out of here. You take the, the fight in the spiritual realm. You kill the bales using the sharp two-edged sword that your father in heaven gave you. You kill the bales on behalf of that guy, whoever it is. And now the guy has eyes to see. And all of a sudden realizes, wow, okay, that spiritual influence is gone. Now he has a choice to make. Okay, now he deals with the physical. Now since he has eyes to see, you pray that now he has ears to hear. And that he returned to Christ, recommit his life to Christ. And that he recommits his life to Christ. Unbeknownst to him, you are fighting for his soul. Your reward is in heaven. You won't get the accolades of men on this earth. But you know what? When you're mature, you don't want the accolades of men. The accolades of men are disgusting to you. But one day you'll hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And your reward will be in heaven. And men, you do it for the women. I mean, you do it for the men too. We do it for each other. Male, female, who can? In Christ, there's no male, female. Slave, free, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile. In Christ. You see? Oh, I don't like how you say this. I don't like it. The battle is real. Satan wants you dead. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. Your beautiful family, Satan wants everybody dead. You get a brand new uh, two-month-old. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful baby, boy, girl. It doesn't matter. Beautiful baby. Satan wants to kill your baby. Kill. He'll kill you, your woman. He'll make you poop out because you want to be a spiritual mommy. He'll make you poop out, and then boom, he'll take you out. You're done. Now you have husband who's a little boy. Mommy took care of everything. And then all of a sudden, okay, husband, easy. Dead husband. Now, beautiful two-month-old. Dead. Piece of cake. To the lion who roams around, waiting for whom he may devour. He may devour. That's what happens. Oh, I don't like how you say this. It, I'm not just saying it. It is written. I'm teaching. 
in obedience to my Father in heaven, in obedience to my King Jesus Christ. I'm telling you these things. I'm teaching you these things so that you can fight, equipping you for the work of the ministry. What is the ministry? That's between you and the Lord. You see? In verse 20, Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Now, you might in your mind be thinking, like, wait a second, we just read about all kinds of iniquity. Israel, we've seen all kinds of iniquity. We've studied it, which I get, I understand. Naturally speaking, I get it, I understand it. But that's the beauty of repentance. Remember, with repentance, sin is forgotten. Sin is forgotten. You're in sin, for example. Say you're in sin. You're in sin. You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who knows of your sin is convicting you of your sin. So much so that you're driven to your knees. Lord, forgive me. I repent. I repent, Lord. Okay? Forgive him. You are right before the Lord. Five minutes later, Oh, Lord, remember my sin? What are you talking about? It's forgotten. It's thrown as far as the east is from the west. It's thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Oh, but I just repented about it five minutes ago. What are you talking about? The slate is clean. You see? That's what's so beautiful about repentance. Now, we're told in Romans, a little refresher course in Romans, don't take advantage of God's grace. Don't take advantage. Remember, Paul, does that mean we should sin so that grace can abound? No way, exclamation point. Certainly not, exclamation point. You see, oh, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Well, that's on you. You didn't retain truth in your mind, in your heart. You didn't bind the truth to your mind, to your heart. That's on you. Don't blame the Lord. That's on you. You see, the Lord gives you a sword which is sharper than any two-edged sword to use, to kill, to slay. Spiritually speaking, that's what He does. In verse 21, has he not observed iniquity in Jacob? He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Prophecy. Prophecy. You see? The blowing of trumpets and the shout translates in the Hebrew as the blowing of trumpets. Of a king. I read out of the New King James, uh, and, and the king word king here is capitalized. The shout of a king is among them. You see, prophecy of Jesus Christ. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness. This is translates as a roaring lion in the, in the Hebrew. Or did I, did I say Greek before? Greek in, 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 in verse 21. And the shout of a king. Shout in the Hebrew. I, I think I said Greek. 
but it's the blowing of trumpets in the Hebrew. In verse 24, look, a people rises like a lioness, and in the Hebrew, a roaring lion or lioness, male or female. The people rises like a lion or lioness and lifts itself up like a lion, translates as a young lion. And in the Hebrew, it's young lion, but it's to do violence. Remember, Israel is, they're fighting now. Yes, the Lord fought Egypt. The Lord destroyed Egypt. I, I, I say fought, but it wasn't really a fight. The Lord destroyed Egypt. But then to Israel, he says, Israel, you go fight now. You fight Canaan. I'll take care of Egypt. You take care of Canaan. With what I've told you, with how I've taught you, how I've equipped you in the wilderness, now you fight. Does that resonate with any one of you, my beloved brothers and sisters? What does the Lord do for you and for me? When he says, okay, yeah, I'll take care of this. You want to come out of crack? Okay, I'll take care of the crack. You want to come out of sex? Okay, I'll take care of the sex. Whatever Egypt you're in, I'll take care of Egypt. But now here we've walked on dry ground. An Old Testament example of water baptism. Water baptism. Remember, when you're baptized in Christ, that water where you sink into, that's your grave site. Grave site. You come out of the water, brand new believer, born again. Born again. You see? Whatever Egypt the Lord has brought you out of, He takes care of Egypt. But then you come out of the water and he gives you a sword. You see? Now, the church in Corinth, they received swords. But they got hurt because they were baby. I mean, you, you give like uh, preschoolers, yeah, say like 20 preschool kids, you put knives, sharp, sharp, not like the little butter knives, the plastic butter knives. You put sharp, like bayonet, not bay, like K-bars. You put sharp, I mean, the sharp, the ones that, like, you don't even have to, like, do anything. Just a little pressure point, and it's slicing like crazy. You put sharp K-bars in every single one of those children's hands, and you're going to see a lot of damage. You're going to see a lot of injury, and the most of them inflicted upon themselves. You're going to see a lot of, it's grotesque to say that. I don't mean to paint grotesque pictures, but that's what you're going to see, because if you're giving K-bars to babies. The church in Corinth is exactly the same. They're in Christ. Saints, you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, saints. They were given swords. And because there was no maturity, where were the pastors, where were the elders? To teach and help them grow, help them die in Christ. But no, they wanted to be their best friend. Oh, you're having sex with your dad's wife? No big deal. Come on, let's come to church together. Let's rejoice. Paul writes a letter. Hey guys, your rejoicing isn't good. This guy, take him and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Maybe his soul will be saved. Anybody named a brother, separate from them. Who's doing this? You know, the sex, drugs, rock and roll. Separate from them. It's leaven. Separate from the leaven. A New Testament example of Old Testament uh, 
leprosy, uncleanness in the camp. Now, for the remnant, everybody got their swords? Check. Check, Paul. We got our swords. All right. Let's train. Let's train. Chapter 5 is done. Let's train. I'm going to tell you about marriage now. Chapter 6, 7, I'm going to teach you about marriage. What you saw before, all the sex that was happening, that's the wrong way to do it. Now, I would prefer you guys remain as I am, single, so we can serve the Lord. But for you guys that are married, you know, he explains. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, okay, now we're going to explain this. Chapter 9, okay, now we're going to explain this. Remember, the church has been clean. The remnant has their swords. Now we're training. Chapter 9, 10, 11, 12. Wow, people are kind of bummed out. Wow, we have these swords, but I don't know the Bible like you, Paul. Wow, Paul, I don't have the gift of tongues. Wow, Paul, okay, that's fine. I'm going to tell you about the greatest gift. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to tell you about the greatest gift. Rolling around on the mat. Learning how to fight. Bayonet training. Learning how to fight. You see? The leaven, gone. It's the remnant that is learning how to fight. Just like in Israel. I mean, we see like verse 21 here. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. You see? And we know from even in the very book of Numbers, We've studied wickedness in Israel. We've looked at wickedness in Israel. But you know what happened to them? They died. Remember Korah? The earth opened up and swallowed up Korah. And those who were with him, those who followed him, swallowed him up. Their wives, their children, everybody, little ones even. And the Hebrew translates as like babies, dead. Disobedience. Another example of short-term belief. You see, he dealt with the wickedness. So what do you have that remains in the remnant? And even the remnant is under attack because Balak, he doesn't send the warriors to attack Israel. He sends the women. You see? And what does Israel do? The men of Israel, the warriors, the valiant men of Israel? Oh, there's no warriors. He's sending women. Okay, come on, women. Come on, women. Come hang out with me. Oh, what's this? Oh, you have this? You're going to offer this? Okay. Let's go into my tent. And then all of a sudden, there they have that, that, that uh, hashab interpenetration. Oh, what's that? You want to talk about the bales? Okay. Now, let me bow down to your bales. Remember chapter 25, verse 2, verse, verse 1. Israel remained in, in Acacia Grove and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. So the men, because they have their, uh, the harlotry with the women, now all of a sudden they have the spiritual harlotry. Now they're sacrificing to the gods of these women. The bales. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal. You see? Instead of Israel joined to the Lord, Israel was joined to Baal. Wow. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. So yes, you have Israel, multitudes, hundreds and thousands. But don't forget, the, the Lord dealt with the wickedness. 
Remember Korah when the earth opened up? So now you have a remnant, which is still a large number of people, but you have a remnant, but even the remnant is under attack. What does that say to you and what does that say to me? The remnant according to grace is and will be under attack. So much so that no flesh will be saved, even the elect. No flesh would be saved, even the elect. That's how bad it's going to be. That's how vicious the fight is going to be. That's how persistent Satan is going to be. That's how persistent Balak will be in the last days to the remnant, to you and to me. No flesh will be saved, even the elect, unless, unless those days were shortened. The church will take casualties. We're going to take casualties. It's going to get worse. You have to fight. You have to learn how to fight today. You have to be equipped today. Store your oil today. Because the days are going to get dark. It's prophesied to happen. It's prophesied. It will come to pass. Every jot, every tittle will come to pass. Let's look at, in closing here, Numbers 23, verse 23. 23-23. For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Of the slain. That's Israel. They're fighting. They're warriors. But Balak is persistent. Verse 25, then Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. He's kind of like fed up. You see, Balak has a, a neutral position now. Okay, don't curse them, Balaam. Uh, don't bless them. But if you don't bless them, don't curse them either. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, Did I not tell you, saying, All that the Lord speaks that I must do? Wow, how noble is this of Balaam? And I don't say that in a mocking sense. I say that there is a sense of nobility here. His obedience unto the Lord. But never, ever, ever forget that even nobility, even nobility can be corrupted by the Baliks, by Satan, by the demons. See? Oh, but God told me this. Well, his word says otherwise. Who are you listening to? Oh, but God told me this. How did God tell you this? Oh, I went grave soaking. I read this book, Crazy Love. And it's in congruence with these other religious leaders, the ones who go grave soaking. So I too went grave soaking so that I can have crazy love. Okay? That's another spirit. You can say spirit, lowercase s, not uppercase s, lowercase s. That's another spirit. It's demonic. Demonic. Oh, you're so judgmental. You're so judgmental. Okay. 
You can say that. Proof is in the pudding. Look at the fruit. That's what the Lord says. Look at the fruit. Even even nobility by Satan can be easily corrupted. Why? Because nobody tests the spirits. But the remnant does. But the remnant will always, always, always be under attack until that beautiful great day of the Lord. You say, wait a second, I read Joel, the, the, the terrible day of the Lord. Okay, it's a terrible day of the Lord. Biblical truth. But you said it's a beautiful day of the Lord. Yes, a biblical day of a biblical truth. It's beautiful. So which is it? Is it terrible or is it beautiful? Depends on you. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? No. Terrible. What if I believe in Jesus Christ? Beautiful. That was easy. I know. You see? It's easy. It's so simple. It's mankind. It's people which like to muddy the waters. They use these big words. Oh, this dispensation, super sensationism, this. They create these big words so they can appear smart. They like to look smart. This guy, I told the four-hour conversation, he used big words. A lot of our conversations, I was asking him, what do you mean by this? What do you mean by this? And he would kind of laugh like, you don't know. You, you, you claim to know the Bible, but you don't know what this means. So, okay, well, you say this word, but just so I'm aligned to your understanding, tell me, what does this mean? And like a brainiac, well, you know, this means this. And use all these big words. Like half the time I'm like looking at my phone like, okay, what does this word mean? It's so simple. So simple. The Lord, he, the Lord loves you. God loves you. Why would he make it difficult for you to follow him? Why? What father does that? What father makes it difficult for their children? I mean, in the world, do you see that? Fools. But I'm talking about our father in heaven. Why would he make it difficult for you to follow him? He wants to be his long suffering for you. He wants intimacy. He wants to be with you. So much so that instead of you dying for your sin, He sends His Son. Take your belief in Jesus Christ. He takes your sin and places it upon His only begotten Son. So that you might live. That's how much He loves you. Why in the world would he make it difficult? Why in the world would he make it hard to understand the way? Why? He wouldn't. He doesn't. Because the day is coming and is here now where people will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Not in academia. You see? Not to the Suscipidalian. To those who don't have ears. 
babes in Christ. Babes in Christ. And then we go from milk to the spiritual Cheerios, to the spiritual chicken nuggies, to the spiritual pork chops. And we mature, we grow. You see? And we fight. We also go fishing too. You see? All kinds of spiritual gifts. Speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues, with healings, with miracles. And don't forget, the greatest gift. There's hope, there's faith, but the greatest is love. Love plus, and then let the Lord have His way with us. You see? But even still, the persistence of Balak as a type of Satan. Then Balak said to Balaam, Please come. Remember, he's persistent. A type of Satan. Please come. I will take you to another place. Good gravy. What is happening here? Satan is persistent with you. He will be persistent. He'll attack you day one. He can attack you because, you know, maybe you're a young believer. And he can't get to you. Why? Because you have shepherds around you. You have the mature around you who are killing, you know, they're fighting that fight, the good fight. You're a young Christian, you're a baby Christian, and you're learning to use your sword. But we have the valiant warriors on the on the perimeter. And you grow, you mature, and you join in the ranks. You see? That's what happens. But yet, you have Balak's persistence. Then Balak said to Balaam, Please come, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God. Very <laughs> Look at the words he used. Maybe it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. Wow. We know God's position. We know Balak's position. We know his persistence. We see Balaam's obedience. Short-term obedience. And yet we see this persistence of Balak, a type of Satan. Knowing God's position, but yet maybe it will please God that you may curse them for me. How does Satan come to you? How do the demons come to you? You know, you want in your heart of hearts, you want to please the Lord. Satan will come to you. Maybe you can please the Lord by fill in the blank. The demons will come to you. Oh yeah, you can please the Lord by doing fill in the blank. Oh yeah, I'm going to call you into this ministry. It presents himself as an angel of light. Oh yeah, thus saith the Lord, I'm calling you into this ministry to the crackheads. Surely God loves them. And yes, it's a bit, God is long-suffering for them. Yes, a biblical truth. But is it your ministry? Oh, but the Lord is calling me there. Did you test the spirits? Yes, this angel of light told me this. Thus saith the Lord. I looked in, you know, the Bible, this passage. And he told me this and it aligned with this passage. Okay. Let me ask you another question. Are there any, uh, it is also written? Oh, I don't know. Well, okay, then, you know, let's, let's pause here for a moment. Let's study the scriptures. Let's not think we're Bereans. Let's not pretend to be Bereans. 
That's Bereans. But I searched the scriptures. No, no. You searched for one verse. Let's search the scriptures, plurality, meaning, you know, all the books, all the verses. Let's look for it is also written. Let us get confirmation from the Lord, not confirmation from this angel. Confirmation from the Lord. The Lord is calling you to minister to the crackhead. Oh, yes, I just have a heart for the crackheads. And you know what? I used to be a crackhead. Oh, you did. Very interesting. You, you have a predisposition to that. Yeah, I do. The finest from Chiapas, Mexico. Okay, okay. Let me ask you something. Do you think this could be an attack to kill you? <gasps> what? But the angel of the Lord wants to is, is calling me. Okay. Is it the Lord that's calling you? Well, surely it's an angel of, a Lord, of the Lord. Okay. Okay. Are you certain it's an angel of the Lord? I think it is. This is maturity, my friend. My beautiful brother, my beautiful sister. Surely God loves the prostitute. Surely God loves the crackhead. Surely God is long-suffering for them. Fill in the blank, whoever. The so-called doldrums of society. The gutter of society. From where I was found. The gutter of society. But you have to test the spirits. Because Satan will call you to kill you. And he'll use scripture. Satan will call you to kill you. But my sheep know my voice, saith the Lord. You see? I mean, if, if I were to give you a phone call, say, hey, yeah, this is your uncle. What? My uncle is Chinese. He doesn't even talk English. You see? You would know because it's not the voice of your uncle. I give you a phone call. Say, hey, this is your auntie. You're not my auntie. You're a dude. You see? My sheep know my voice, saith the Lord. In order for you. Now, what if you didn't know your auntie? What if you've never had any experience, any encounter with your auntie? You've never had any encounter with your uncle. And I give you a phone call. And I say, hey, this is your uncle speaking. Oh, hey, uncle. You see? That's what happens. Babies in Christ. People who don't know the depths and the riches of God's mercy, His grace, His love, knowledge of the Word of God. Which is a gift. Not the greatest gift, but which is a great gift. And I don't say great gift like, you know, in boasting. But for the sake of safety, that's when... Paul says to Timothy, teach truth for in so doing, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. The gift of knowledge, usually, in my experience, those who have the gift of knowledge are under the greatest attacks. Usually pastors, usually elders. Pray for your pastors. 
wherever you are in the face of this orb, pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders. Because Satan doesn't want you to have this knowledge. Satan doesn't want you to have this understanding of the Word of God. And he wants to kill the pastors. He'll kill the pastors. He'll turn them into, you know, lukewarm believers. And we look at Corinth. We look at Corinth, the, 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 the division in Corinth. chapter. Just the fact that chapter 5 is written. I'm thankful that it is written. But just the fact that it happened, it breaks my heart. Just the fact that a, a person was inside the church and had to be committed to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But you look at the very, very, the first attack point of Satan. The pastors, the elders. You hear me say all the time, where were the pastors in Corinth? Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? That was attack number one. And victory number one for Satan. And then it trickled down into the body. It trickled down. You see? They say killing, but spiritual killing. Because you have the defunct pastors, the defunct elders. And you have all this works of the flesh that came into Corinth. Then you have this separation, the division. Separating not the wheat from the tares, but separating the remnant from the leaven. The wheat from the tares, that's the Lord. The Lord does that. But the wheat and the tares grow together. It is written. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders. Because in the last days, a large majority of the shepherds will turn into wolves. As is written in Acts 20. In the last days. More shepherds will turn, they'll go from fish to lambs to sheep to shepherds and then to wolves. That's what's going to happen in the last days. And these wolves will present false Christ. They'll present themselves as false prophets. Well, they'll present themselves as prophets, but biblically, they'll be false prophets. And they'll present another Christ in accordance to another pneumaticus. Numa, another spirit. You see? Oh, but let's have unity. Let's have unity. Even that is prophesied. Unity with the Antichrist. Unity with the false prophet. Unity with Babylon. Mystery Babylon. It is written. It will come to pass. Do not be deceived. Look at the persistence of Balak here. Perhaps it will please God. It's like, it's like the seduction. Balaam is obedient to the Lord. Surely he wants to please the Lord. Look at your obedience. You know, Satan looks at obedience. I mean, we look at obedience like, wow, it's a beautiful thing. And yes, it's a beautiful thing. But Satan looks at obedience with a different lens. Okay, here's an obedient Christian. Here's an obedient Christian. 
So I'm going to attack this guy. I'm going to attack this girl. I'm going to use, I want them to think they're pleasing the Lord. You see? Just like Balak is doing here. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for uh, that you may curse them for me from there. We know God's position already. We know what his word says. And we know what Balak is presenting. And we also know that Balaam, in the course of time, he has these high places in his heart. And Balaam makes his choice. The fall of Balaam. Instead of the high places falling, he falls. The same happens to you. The same happen, can happen to you. The same can happen to me. When the high places don't fall, you will fall. Don't let that happen. You have to fight. Verse 28, so Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. Now look, Peor here, the over the top of Peor, this is where Israel joins with the Baal. Chapter 5, or chapter 25, verse 3. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor. You see? So this vantage point, this vantage point is where Israel joins with Baal. You see the angles of attack? The angles of attack. Uh, Balak says, okay, let's go. Here we are in Kirjath Huzoth. Nope. Can't attack from that angle. So here, let's go to Zophim Pisgah. Nope. Can't attack from that angle. But let's go to Peor. Boom. That's the entry point. The same way when we're tempted, we're told to look for the door and we take that door as a way of escape. But in your life, in your walk with Christ, in your heart, in your mind, Satan looks for a door. Not as the exit. He looks for the door as an entry point. His angle of attack. Kirjath Nope, no entry point. Zofim Pisga? Nope, no entry point. Come here, let's go to this other vantage point. Let's go to Peor, where it overlooks the wasteland. Who, who would guard the wasteland? It overlooks the wasteland. Boom, entry point. And I'm not going to send, this is Balak. I'm not going to send my valiant, mighty warriors of Baal of Moab who worships the Baals. I'm going to take the women, unarmed women, and I'm going to send the unarmed women here. Very interesting that the women's entry point is at the wasteland. A lot of men go to the wasteland to find women. You see? And... Then what happens? The khashab, khashab, the weaving together, the interpenetrating, being mixed together and united by penetration. Physical, then spiritual. And then the fall. You see? Defeat. No victory. No victory. 
not just no victory, judgment. Remember 25 verse 3, the Lord was aroused, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Judgment. You see? Just like 1 Corinthians 11. If we, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Oh, but I don't like judgment. I don't like judgment. <laughs> it's a great disservice to you and your household. You judge yourself so that you can repent. It's better for you to judge yourself than for the Lord to judge you. Much better. Because on this side of eternity, you and me, we can repent. Be clean, be right before the Lord. Look at this vantage point. In verse 28, So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. He can't get in his angle of attack at point A. No entry point. No door. There's no door here. So come on, Balaam. You're obedient to the Lord. You, you speak to the Lord. The Lord speaks. You know, you say these things, thus saith the Lord. Okay, that's fine. But I want to kill Israel. I want Israel to be killed. I want Israel to be cursed and then so I can kill them. So here, let's go to this other vantage point. Now, we, we can't do that. So let's go to Zophim Pisgah. Oh, you're obedient to the Lord? That's fine. I don't care. You want to be obedient to the Lord? That's fine. I'll be persistent. You're not nudging over here at Zophim Pisgah? Okay, let's go to Peor. Don't forget, I've offered you money. I've offered you renown. The offer of Belek. Let's go over here. Let's go to this other vantage point. Then Balaam, in verse 29, then Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had, had said and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. You see what's happening here? The seduction of Balaam. The seduction of Balaam. By Balak. A type of Satan. Satan. The Balaks does the exact same thing to you and to me. And he will continue until we take our last dying breath. You don't want to walk with the Lord until your last dying breath? You judge yourself. You bring judgment upon yourself. I don't say that to scare you into heaven. People say, oh, don't, don't talk about judgment. You don't want to scare people to heaven. Well, you know, when I first became a believer, I was scared. You, know? I was terrified. And you know, some, some people like to hear about living water, just like the woman at the well. The woman at the well. I'll say it again. The woman at the well. I'll say it a third time. The woman. I'll say it in another way. The female at the well. She heard of living water and it blessed her soul from Jesus Christ. For me, that didn't work. You know what worked for me? The hellfire damnation. The Sodom and Gomorrah. The judgment. The wrath. And I'm male. That's what worked for me. 
you see. Just as, you know, Satan, ha Satan has his vantage points. He looks for the door. The Lord has his vantage points. He looks for the door of your heart. And he knocks. And if you hear and let him in, he desires to sup with you. You see, it's the spiritual battle. God loves his creation. God loves his creation. And Satan, who knows he's going to hell with his demons, with his minions, he wants to drag all of God's creation into hell. Where are the beautiful feet? Where are the beautiful feet? That's what I want to know. You say, what are you talking about? We're in Numbers 23. You're talking about feet? Well, in closing, in closing, turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10. In verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Beautiful. Praise be to the Lord. Does everybody call on the name of the Lord? No. Does God desire all of His creation to call on His name? Yes, absolutely. He is long-suffering for all of His creation. Does that happen? No. But where are the beautiful feet? Yeah, There you go, talking about feet again. What are you talking about? Hold on, let's keep reading. How then, in verse 14, how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Valid question, Paul. And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? Another valid question. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, it comes home. How shall they hear without a preacher, a public crier, to herald and proclaim and publish divine truth? How shall they hear without a public crier? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet. Here we go, feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. What are the good things? Jesus Christ, Him crucified. His life, His death, His resurrection. His atonement for sin. And His return for His bride. God bless you, beautiful people of the way. I love you.